Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to episode 131 of the Galen Trombley Show and the man I got today. We've been trying to do this now. You said over a year, I think, but I'm Feels glad. Like yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we, got, we were able to uh, put this together for you. Busy man. Got him on the schedule. Super happy about that. But Mr. Teddy Chan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And uh, so a couple things. One, um, I've never formally met you. I'm sure I've seen you, you know, I, again, we'll go into the mall situation in a little bit, but like, I'm sure I saw you as a kid, probably mm-hmm. growing up or however long you've been doing it for a while. Um, but I also think that you probably know everybody in Clinton County. It seems like, like everybody I talk to, like, you know, Teddy, right? You know, Teddy, and the amount of people that said you should have, this was last year that said you should have Teddy on. <laughs> and I'm like, I would love to. And then I kind of started following you. And then we, like I said, we've been trying to work, work into this, but Teddy, welcome to the show. I am honored. Thank you. And, and for anybody that does not know you, give us a little rundown. My name is Teddy Chan. My parents run the business in the mall. We were formerly Flaming Walk, which was a, a franchise of 20 years. And then about seven years ago, we decided to go independent. And now we are China Cafe. And now we're going to 27 years of operation. And it's been a pleasure serving the community. So your parents started it? Correct. And had they always been in that location? Because I remember the Flaming Walk back in the day. Yes. It's always been that same location. It's always been my parents that open and close pretty much 365 days a year. So how... How long have you been a part of it? I moved up here when I was a senior in high school, right before my senior year. So I went to one year of PHS. This was, what, 97, I believe? Okay. And I was pretty miserable, you know, being a senior, going into my (laughs) senior year. I won't get into that unless we want to get into that later. I always tell people, make long story long, so go ahead. Yeah. Um, You know, moving from New York City is a big culture shock. I'm not used to i'm used to diversity Mm -hmm. okay and plattsburgh has made strides in this department over the years since i've been here for sure but long story short i graduated from phs and then i went i wanted to go back to the city so bad that i went with all my boys to stony brook partied a little too much (laughs) came back up here afterwards at clinton county boost my gpa went to went to plattsburgh state uh, finished out there with an economics, um, a major in economics. And then I went to Canisius in downtown Buffalo to major in an MBA in finance. So you have an MBA in the one year program. Um, so when you moved up here in, you said like around 96, 97, were your parents already up here working? They were actually. So, uh, so you were, were apart for a little bit of time. Yes. My grandmother pretty much watched after me and my brother for that gap, that gap. And we've always been close with my grandmother. She's always been the one that took care of us because my parents always worked. Growing up, my parents, I might see my parents an hour a day, max. So, And this is seven days a week? Yeah. Okay. Seven days a week. I mean, um, my parents never took a day off. And at that time, they were, when we were young, they were working for somebody else in the restaurant business. So they learned all, all the ins and outs from there. And then we started our own. What brought them to Plattsburgh? 
funny story. So there's also like a similar kinds of business setup in the aviation mall. If anyone's been to aviation Gun mall Falls. in, in uh, Queensbury or Queensbury, yeah. Right. Yep. Next town over. Yep. Um, it's a very similar setup. My parents were actually there for a month and then they decided, you know what, let's take a look at the Plattsburgh location. Cause there was also a similar business setup and they came up here and they decided, you know what? Plattsburgh was a better opportunity at the time we had the air force base was still around. It was a different beast. It was a different animal with a base. And they thought, well, it's also strategically located right by the border, which in a mall near a border, it's a pretty obvious, you can call it a rest stop for any traveling people going to and from Canada tour buses stop by too. So my parents were like, yeah, this is definitely a better opportunity in Golan's Falls. Cause in the aviation mall, that's kind of like a, I would call it almost a seasonal business because you More know, summer seasonal. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And from the stories I hear, like that mall, I wouldn't say is doing terrible, but like I said, it's a seasonal business. You guys can figure that out. Yeah. So the, so when they moved up to the mall, they were in the restaurant business. How long have your parents? So it's 27 years, you said? In operations here. And then what, how, overall, how long? How long were they in the business back in? It was New York City, right, where they started? Yeah. I mean, I'll be 41 in July. So they've been doing this for 41 years. Wow, since you were Minimum. Wow. Probably closer to 43, actually, because they came here in, I think, 77. So their first generation, I say, for, yeah, they're, they're immigrants over here. Correct. So you're Me and my brother are first, first generation. First generation? Correct. So it's just you and your brother? Correct. In terms of uh, offspring, yes. And are you oldest, youngest? I'm the oldest by three years. There you go. Okay. So I'm an oldest too. So I, I said, <laughs> I think there's something about old, the old, there's always like the middle child and the younger child, whatever. So, um, yeah, we got screwed, man. Well, I, so I have three kids. Yeah. So my oldest is a lot like me and I can kind of see the dynamic of the, of the ages, how the personalities change. But, um, uh, yeah, the first, the first person, I think it's, it's different when you're the oldest one. I think you can grow up with tendencies that the other ones will never experience because they don't have little siblings. And even if they have a younger sibling, there's never you can never replicate being the oldest, I think. It's it's weird. It, like There's middle child syndrome, which are, yeah. my daughter's, I think, kind of filing into that. But it's, uh, it's At least we didn't have hand-me-downs. That's true. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's actually... Right? That, that's, that's kind actually, of a win that's, there. That's actually right. We at least got new stuff. We pulled the tags off. So it's kind of a win. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, when you got it, when you went to, okay, economics, you went to Canisius? Correct. Canisius, Canisius I'm saying it. Canisius. Canisius. It's a private Jesuit university. Okay. So when you graduated from that with an MBA in finance, was that something you wanted to go into or was it always, hey, I'm going to go back and help mom and dad out? You know, in our culture, I wouldn't say we're groomed, but we're kind of pushed towards, it was always about education first. If you want to go to school, like you have to at least graduate college, Okay. If you want to go for advanced degrees or extra more degrees, let's say, sure. Like most Asian parents will never discourage that from their child. So they always pushed me and my brother to go to the max in terms of education, go as far as you want to go, but definitely at least get a four year degree first. And we're always, our culture, we kind of coax the children to go be that stereotypical doctor accountant, investment banker, lawyer, you know, those kind of jobs, those kind of gigs. We've all, we're, we're always being pushed to go Ivy Leagues, Ivy Leagues all the way. So the path I was on, yeah, you know what? I love finance. I love economics. I love 
I wouldn't say the market is gambling, but I like to gamble. <laughs> so as a high school student, I always thought, yeah, I'm going to be this big shot IB guy, investment banker on Wall Street and be with Merrill Lynch and the top dogs at the time, you know? And then there comes a point where, you know what? I'm a people person. I don't like to be in front of a computer. I don't like to maybe look at numbers all day. I'm a very social person. Did you, did you find that out? Was that pretty easy? Like when you graduated college, I mean, was it like you knew by the time you graduated that, hey, this may not be where I want to go? Yeah, because... You know, right before I came back to this, guess what? I was actually working with uh, Verizon Fios in their sales department trying to sell Fios packages. And they were doing this door to door, which was this hilarious. Was back in the early 2000s? No, no, this was actually right before, like about uh, 2000, seven years ago, roughly. Oh, six years ago, actually. Oh, you just, you, you've only been around for six years? I've been active here for about seven. Oh, but okay. there was a short time period where I decided, you know what? I got to try something okay. to truly understand if I really wanted to do this for the next X amount of years. So we did door to door. I did door to door sales with Verizon right before I came back to fully cement my spot here. And I just realized, you know what? This is cool. I learned a lot of things sales wise that I've definitely applied to life. And to work in the business, actually. But there's nothing like being in a, in a community like ours here. Growing up in New York City, I had the option. I could have went back to the city. I could have worked and grinded in the city. I even thought about starting up a similar business in the city. But Mama set up perfectly one day. And I'm talking about Mama. Shout out to uh, Deb Johnson over at uh, Ridley's. Oh, me and, <laughs> she's me not an actual mom, but yeah, mama. okay. <laughs> but she's what well, I've got a lot of mamas actually. There you go. <laughs> and she's um, you know, one day we had a heart to heart over a couple of Johnny Walker Blacks. She was like, "Teddy, you got to make a decision here. Like, do you want to be a big fish in a small pond, or do you want to be a small fish in a huge pond? You understand that comparison, yeah, for sure. right?" And I told her initially, you know what? Yeah, but. I feel like if I just take the big fish, small pine scenario, I've kind of quit. I've kind of took, taken the easier road. And she's like, maybe, but that doesn't mean you can't grow it still. Mm-hmm. So when I heard the word growth, and you know, that's, that's a sales word we use too yeah. in the industry. I thought about it. And I was like, you know what, mom, you're right. I can see what my... Co- competitors are doing and one of the things I've learned in business is you can learn to do things the right way or and you can also learn to do things not the wrong way there's a slight difference in that I've watched a lot of my competitors we all know how to do things the right way but not a lot of people understand that there might be a better way So I've watched a lot of my competitors. I study some business. I study a lot of business. I often go, if you know me well enough, you know that I like to eat. So I go to a lot of restaurants. 
I study how they run their businesses from what I see from a consumer perspective. I study the front of the house because you know what? Chances are they're not going to be like, hey, you want to come to the kitchen and check it out? Mm-hmm. So I study how people relate, how people sell things, how people even socialize. And I nitpick a little here and there. Thing I nitpick on the strengths that I can draw from that business from what I learn. And I also learn what they might not be doing so well. And when you learn that, when you learn how to not think, how to, when you see that aspect, the weaknesses of a business, you bring that back with you and try to not have that. You try to understand the weakness. At the same time, you try not to allow yourself and your business to be exposed to it. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Are, are you a strategic kind of guy? Do you like, like, um, I play poker. Poker? Did you? I mean, did you play like, uh, like Risk growing up, or did you play any of these like Access and Allies? Yeah, Access and Allies. I play uh, real time strategy games like Command and Conquer. So, but you like the strategy, like the thinking. You like the. I play uh, chess. I play checkers. You, you yeah, ha- so you always a, have to be a step ahead. Yeah, so at you're least. A, well, I I think in business wise, I was very I'm very similar in the sense that I, um, I. I'm aware of what's going on. I understand what's going on. I know the you know the business term SWOT analysis. Like of I can course. pretty much SWOT analyze most businesses, at least in my sector. You know, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't care as much about your sector or maybe you know an art an art place or something like that. But like within real estate or business, those that's like my realm. So I look at it, I focus on it, and I kind of see okay, what's and I, I look at and I've been doing this my whole life. Like, what is my competitive advantage? And how do I play to my strengths to, and again, that's, whether that be in sports, I wasn't the fastest, wasn't the quickest. What could I do? I could understand the game. I could strategize. I knew positioning. I knew, like, I had to tap into my strengths. So yeah. I look at that in business also and say, where's our competitive advantage? Or where's a crack, like in the armor mm-hmm. that you just spoke? Then how do I be able to kind of expose that to benefit us? Not in a malicious way, but in like, you know, in a, you know, like a business is a competitive, yeah. was it uh, Mark Cuban that says it's the fifth, fifth major or something like that mm-hmm. sport? Um, it's figuring that out, and then also you, you use that to grow. Like I said, the, str- the strategy part behind it's the fun part. We talk about growth. Oh, yeah. like, I love growth. I love expansion. I love the mm-hmm. idea of. I get very. Do you get complacent or not? Sorry, are you are you someone that's okay like with being at a certain level? You get complacent. And you're like, hey, I'm fine there, which is not a bad thing for people. Or are you someone that I'm constantly trying to find that like next little a little that, edge? That, yeah. Um, I'll say it like this. I'm always hungry. Yeah. Always. And when you say competitors, do you mean, you know, uh, Chinese food or Asian food or whatever we call it, ethnic food? Or do you talk about anything? This could be Texas Roadhouse. This could be irises. This could be anybody. You know, it's funny. I, I don't think of other restaurants as competition anymore, to be honest with you. But when you just said competitors. When I it? say competitors... There was a time where I had a competitor across from me in the mall. Mm -hmm. I feel like if... Competitor meaning also like... Like an Asian cuisine. Yeah, okay. A lot of people like to say, compare me to Jade. And I'm like, it's a tough comparison. I get it. If you want to group it under like Asian slash Chinese cuisine, sure. Fine. Yes. You want to classify like that? Sure. However, the key difference is... I don't throw a menu of 50 items out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I stick to the strengths. I stick to tried and true. I'm, I experiment here and there a little bit. Nothing too out of the box. And I don't 
we don't really make things to order, let's say. You know how you can be like, how you could call in an order and be like, I like this, this, and that. We kind of don't do that. Like my menu is pretty standard and straightforward. And I think that's what's worked the best for us. It's simple, strengths, and it's literally in your face. It's right there. What? Well, the one, do you guys do takeout? Yeah. I mean, takeout is just more if you come in, like you, you, but it's, it's within that. They're not ordering takeout, right? You kind of come in and then they grab whatever. Do you have people that call up and you have a package ready to go? Some people would like lately I've shied away from that for the simple fact that I'm just so busy that I can't even oftentimes I don't have time to make your order for you because I've got like a line 10 deep. So, and I, I, I wish that wasn't a case because I would love to do some orders in advance for some of the com- community members, but it's just, I, I got to address the people that's in front of me first and foremost. So when, when one thing I've been fascinated by lately is, you, you know, the idea of the 80, 20 rule, um, you ever heard re- of that? Pareto's rehash principle? me. It sounds very familiar. Okay. So what basically is that most things in life, mm-hmm. so the background on Pareto's principle, I believe it's an Italian guy who came up with it. He said that 20% of the, of the population of Italy at the time owned 80% of the wealth. So it was the idea that you can apply the 20, 80, 20 rule to most things in life, meaning in business standpoint, the way they call it 80, 20 is that 20% of something you do makes up 80% of your revenue or 80% of the cost, 20% of the uh, input equals 8% of the output. So for, that's what I was thinking with you. It's like, Hey, listen, we don't have 50 menu items. We might have eight to 10 tried and true. We, we make these better than everybody. They're so dialed in and perfect that we know that even if we had 50 menu items, these 20% of them, which it's about right, say you had 10 and 50, that 20% is gonna make up 80% of our sales. So why are we spending the extra time on that other 80% knowing that it's gonna be a minuscule amount of return? And you know what that boils down to? One of my favorite words, I use it every day, at least 10 times a day, efficiency. Yeah, I love it. So what, so give me, so I had a lot of stuff. So I'm just gonna kind of go through my list. I gotta ask you, but like name, Talk about your the store. Talk about China, China Cafe. Like, what is, what do you guys focus on? What do you guys? What what's it like there? What you know? Who works there? Like, give me kind of the rundown of the basic. Like, it's well, you know, it's mostly me, my mom, and my dad. I'm the one that put in the most hours now. My parents aren't getting any younger. Part of the reason why parents probably six late sixties. Uh, my dad is 70. He will be 72. And you know what? He busts his ass harder than a lot of other people I know. He puts in mm-hmm. 50 to 60. Not just hours, quality hours. You know, a lot of people can put in 30 hours, but. Yeah, they're just sitting behind the counter or something. How yeah. much. How, how. I look at quality. Mm-hmm. It's always about quality over quantity. Hence, like, it's, that goes with the shop again. I'm not out there throwing 50 items, you know? It's me and my parents. I have one head chef. He's been with us for about 20 years. He almost works as much as I do, but that's only because he's about 13 years younger than my dad, but he's a good guy. Is he also Chinese also? Yeah. Okay. He's, he's kind of like my uncle at this point. He's been with us for so long and it's a grind, man. A lot of people don't understand how much work goes into this. One of the things that, and you know, I don't knock people for this, but every now and then someone will throw a question at me like, where do you buy your egg rolls from? Where, where do you get the sauce for that? You know? And to me, that's kind of an insult because if 
I was doing that, guess what? I wouldn't be averaging 105 hours a week if I was able to buy some of these things. Fact of the matter is we make most of this stuff in-house. If we didn't make this stuff in-house, I would not be averaging 105 hours a week. Straight up. So egg rolls are all homemade from Egg rolls are homemade. The only thing that's not homemade in the egg roll is the skin. But you're talking about the filling? That's shredded by hands. The cabbage, the celery that we use, that's shredded by hands. The seasoning, we season it ourselves. Okay? All the vegetables that you see, anything you see on my table, that is all done by hands. That is all done in-house. The sesame chicken, the chick, the pieces of chicken, guess what? We cut it ourselves. Do you get chicken breasts and just you dice them up? Yeah. It's literally, it's so labor-intensive, the shop. I don't think people can ever understand. And the other slap in the face is when people tell me it's expensive. Because I'm like, when, when I hear that, guess what? That's straight up you saying you're devaluing my time. You're devaluing the amount of work that of 27 years that has gone into getting it to where we are right now. You're devaluing that. And what's I a, take that very personal. What's like an average plate there if someone was to go? Um, the most popular thing would be, we call it a regular combo, which is simply just rice or noodles plus two items. Right now it rings up for 842 after tax. That's expensive? That's, that's no, but not to be like a smart, but that is that really a lot of yous don't see this, but I'm over here shrugging my shoulders. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I, th- I honestly thought you were going to say like 15 bucks or something like that. So, okay. So no, I, I don't, well, I disagree with that. Whoever said that, but it's, it's to be, to be dude, honest, it's crazy, to, which I know sounds cr- So I know you've done this before, but you must, I'm assuming you've done this. Like, is that, is that the sweet spot of the margins for you guys? Like, is that like. Say, because I'm looking at that, if that was eight something, and that seems to me like a normal, like, size portion meal that someone would want to eat for lunch or dinner. Is it, have you, like, $9, $10, $11? Is there a certain, I mean, at a certain point, is there a tipping point where you just found that, the, you know, the revenue's gone down because people decide not to buy it because it's $10 instead of $8? Here's the beauty of it. Our fan base knows what they're getting. Mm-hmm. They understand the effort and the amount of work and labor it takes to get to where we are right now, to get that to your plate in your stomach. Most people don't mind. The ones that might mind, guess what? Oftentimes when they try it, they're like, okay, I get it now. I understand. I I not only see and feel the difference, I taste the difference. And that's the most important part right there. I don't use any fluff. We don't use garbage ingredients. A lot of times you'll get the question of, do you use MSG? I'm like, no, because that's like cheating. MSG is a preservative and I refuse to use that because that takes no skill. So when you, so what's in, I think I know where this is going, but if you put all the work in, you're putting all the time in, you're obviously finding that there's a benefit to the amount of work you put in. Do you find that there's a benefit from, does it, because obviously if you're like, listen, I can cheat my way out of it, obviously. But are you kind of, is this more of like, you know, quality? This is my, like my, my name reputation is going into that. So I'm going to make it because I know how to make it the best way. Because I would think if you go in knowing how to do it the best way, and then you kind of go and take like, yeah, like you said, maybe the easy route, the, the not well route is I think you pronounced or how you described it. Mm-hmm. 
is that like taking the not well route? Like you can make it, you can fluff it, but we know, like you know, deep down that because of the I'd trained eye and everything that I, you know what, I'd be compromising the integrity of the product. Yeah, integrity. That's it. That's I would. Um, you know, I'll be honest. If I was doing this for the money, guess what? The price would not be eight forty two for that. I'll be real. If it was about the money, it would not be eight forty two, folks. What I mean, what's what's the drive behind? china cafe like you guys i mean i i look at your your um i follow on instagram obviously but you put in a ton of hours your family puts in a ton of hours like you said your dad's 72 years old and is putting in more hours than probably 99 percent of people out there it's kind of um, sad and but where does one obviously that cultural you know that's a cultural thing but then Number two, like, what do you get out of it? What's the drive for you guys to, you know, wake up at whenever you do to go do it or sleep, you know, you know what I mean? Like grind for 17 hours a day. What's your why behind it? Like, what's the big thing and the purpose as to why you're doing it? My lease tells me so. Is that we, it? We, yeah. I honor, we honor our agreements, our contracts. I do it. It's weird because I've been asking myself this a lot lately as I've since COVID when we were shut down for four months last year, I, I started to value my time a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I've also been asking myself, why, 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 why do I have to do it this way? Every, everybody asks me, why do you have to do it like that? Because I don't want to compromise the product. I don't want to compromise the service. To me, that's probably something that's priceless with the business. Oftentimes people, and people say this all the time to me, whether I believe it or not, that's a different thing. But the fact that someone will say this, your parents are the ones behind the counter. We're behind the product hundred percent. We know what we're getting. We know that we know what to expect. We know to expect a superior experience because let's be honest. And I say this, you could say it's a sales pitch. When you're doing it this long, guess what? I don't sell food anymore. Now I sell an experience. Straight up. I do it for the smiles. I do it for the generations. And when I say generations, I'm speaking to a few families where I've fed four generations at this point. It's kind of, not to toot our horn here, but In some families, you feel like it's entrenched as part of their life. You know, every, every couple days, couple days a week, you have some families that stop in like, like clockwork. You got some people that show up Tuesday and Thursday every week, just because that's part of their routine. And to be that central to someone's or a family's diet for so long that money can't buy that. So a lot of it's just the pride, it's the spread, it's the the spread of the food that you make. It's kind of you're putting all this blood, sweat, and tears into a product, and you know that people enjoy. It. And for for you, that's the payoff. It's the enjoyment of your yeah. work, of your I, labor, of your everything that you're giving. Knowing that I put max effort out there to hopefully achieve maximum utility from a satisfied uh, customer base. That's why I do it. That's what it's about at the end of the day. I, and I say this all the time. I joke about it all the time. A lot of people are like, so how's business say? And I'll say, 
hopefully good enough so that I could at least buy a beer at the end of the night. You know, on a good day, maybe I'll be able to buy two. It's not about the money. So are, are you, um, how's, I, I guess what, I don't know this. I mean, you obviously have lived this your entire life, but like the Chinese culture, how does that, like, obviously your parents are from China. They carry a lot of that with them. I'm sure, like I said, extended family, um, you and your brother, how does that tie into like, what values do you guys have? Cause I know like, you know, Asian culture, a lot of it is very different than Western culture. There's a lot of, um, as well, looking at your Instagram, like the, you know, you went, uh, uh, this was it this past weekend you Correct. went out and visited family uh, or pat family that's passed and it's you know there's a lot of um i think there's the, like strong culture there's the respect aspect there's the the, the work like the hard work as, aspect of just you know you grind it out and you you know you put your time in and you know what do you how is that attributed to you like what do you value from the chinese culture that you're like this is something i would not I would not deviate from, or I would not sacrifice, or I would not skimp on. Like we, I apply this every day at work. I will not compromise the integrity. I will not jeopardize the honor of the family, and I will always put in max effort. There's nobody, and I, my parents, my grandmother, they taught me this when I was a kid. Like, there's no, you can't rely on anybody but yourself. Sure, you'll have family. They'll back you up. But at the end of the day, you got to get your hands dirty. At the end of the day, guess what? You can delegate all you want. But at the end of the day, if you want to feel truly confident in what you've done in your day, guess what? You're going to have to do maybe not all the work, maybe 99% of it, though. So you guys only have one fam- one one person that works there that's not part of family. Correct. Um, have you ever had any more than one employee? Yes, I've employed a few people to just help out with the front of the house with my mom in the front of the register so that it would enable me to put in more time in the kitchen because mm-hmm. the kitchen is the most labor intensive part of the of the operation. You know, um listen, I get it. My mom's pretty, she's very cool to talk to, but you know, at the end of the day, let's be real, you're also there for food. Mm-hmm. That's probably got to be at least 51% of the reason why you're there. Let's be honest here. Hence, and my dad taught this to me way in the beginning, like the most important thing about this business is you got to have a strong kitchen. You could probably your product. Yeah. Yeah. That is the product. My dad's like, you could have a person just put out 50% effort in the front of the house. But as long as the food's good, the fan base will be there for you. As long as this food stays at 100% effort, mm-hmm. everything else in the front in terms of how you present it, how you sell it, how you interact with a person, because I'm very big on interactions because that's part of the experience. You can, I don't want to say skimp, but you can put less effort in the interaction and the social aspect as long as the product is 100%. Have that's you, tough. Have you gotten to the point where I would deem your food is probably hitting pretty damn close to excellence if it hasn't hit there already. You know what I mean? Like you you put so much effort into that that, you know, you probably can't make it any better kind of deal. Like, you know, you've probably maxed out the potential of the food. Has that transitioned to other aspects of the business? Like you said, now I'm focusing maybe – the reason I'm saying this because I – before real estate I was in 
I sold ice cream. That was like my only two jobs was ice cream and real estate Interesting. since I was 14. So I mean, I mowed lawns and stuff when I was young, young, but first working job, papers, whatever. And I remember the first couple years I was trying to get good at serving ice cream because like it's, it's not as easy as people think. Like, you know, trying to make a cone look like you would see like in an ad or something. Yeah. And I used to mess it up all the time and you're, you know, then, you know, just making Sundays and like not looking great. And seven years later when I left and I started, then I got my license going with real estate. Seven years later, what I was putting out looked really damn good. Meaning like I, I kind of achieved what I, you know, what the posters on the walls and stuff. Like I want to make a cone that looks like that. And I was able to do it. It took a lot of time. It took hours and I mean thousands and thousands and thousands of cones. And I'm joking. Like when I left, I literally could do five cones at one time because I put them between each finger and I could wow. go like this and you'd work your yeah. way around and you just hand them of out. And people thought it because it was kind of like a little show, but yeah. it was the idea that I'd gotten so good at the ice cream that the last couple of years I started focusing on stuff that had nothing to do with ice cream because it got to the point where that was almost on autopilot. It was good, but like I didn't have to think about it. It was second nature. Then I started focusing on interaction. Then I started focusing on placement of things. Yes. Then I started to focus on where people's eyes gravitate yep. or what, what, words to use um do you find that now you're like we got the food down i can do it in my sleep now i'm focusing and i'm trying to get better at other aspects of the business to come full circle to truly make every aspect of this business complete excellence yeah i mean one thing i work on every day is trying to remember everyone's name first off <laughs> right off the bat is that a, is that a big is that just a normal thing or like because do you remember um uh hong kong Wong Kwong, what Mr. Wu? You remember Mr. Family Wu? Family friends, yes. Yes, he's still around. Yes, and I, I've seen him, and I, you know, he'll walk up to me. This is years later because we used to go there a lot when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and he would know all our names. Yep. And I ran into um, Mr. Wu in the mall, and he was with his wife, and I'd seen her probably that entire time, maybe four times, five times ever. Cause she was usually in the kitchen. Correct. Mr. Wu was always in front of the house, Correct. and he, I always like as I got older and appreciated, he was like a maestro in there. He go in and he, people are coming in. He's joking. He's talking. Yes. He knows every family. He knew my grandparents. Mm -hmm. Knew my parents. Knew me. Now, Mike. I mean, he he left before um, my kids were born, but he ran into me in the mall and he comes up and he's like Galen and he started talking to me. I'm like, Mister Wu, what's up? And I hadn't seen him in years. He asked all about my sisters. Yeah. Asked about my parents. Didn't forget how Sagan. How's Mara? And I'm like, holy crap! This was like mm -hmm. we haven't. They probably haven't seen you in ten years. And he like not even blinking an eye. Right off the top, sharp as can be. Is that something that? Is that a cultural thing or is that just, is that a restaurant industry thing? Is that, because I'll be honest, he blew my mind with just knowing everybody that walked in their first name basis. It's funny. You say that and my mom does the same thing. See, here's the thing. This is one way I'm trying to improve. Mm -hmm. My mom, she doesn't, she remembers people by face and the order, but she can never not never, but 50% of the time, she cannot remember the person's name. So I try to improve on that by remembering the name. And then I try to tell my mom, oh, this is Kayla. Do you remember what she gets? And then my mom look at the face and be like, oh, Kayla. Yes, Kayla, this is what you get. Perfect. She gets that down. And then she'll ask about, she'll also ask about the family, your health, your job work. Mm -hmm. Just catch up like that small minute and a half of catch up time. I don't. I guess you could say it's a cultural thing because you know what? Now that I think about it, I would see the way my parents interact with some of their peers. Same concept. How's the kids doing? 
How's life? Are you retired? Blah, blah, blah. They, they go through the whole thing. They try to remember everything. That's also part of the experience. I often tell people, you can go to McDonald's and be treated like a statistic and a number. But when you come here, I at least want to try to remember your name. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call you by your name. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to be like, order 265 is ready. No. Mm-hmm. There's nothing interactive about that kind of experience. I think, well, I mean, it's kind of, um, you ever read the book, um, what's it called? How to, it's, it's uh, Stephen Covey wrote it. How to communicate with people or seven steps to influence people or whatever. I forgot the actual name. I probably have it up there in my book somewhere. <laughs> and one of the things is the sweet that he says in the book, and this is an old book. This is probably, God, probably 60, 70 years old now. Yeah. One of the quotes in it is there's no sweeter sound to a person than their own name. And it's true. Like if somebody says Galen, I know they're talking to me. Yeah. If somebody says Teddy, I know they're, you're the only Teddy it's, I know. It's besides my son's teddy bear, you know? So, I mean, it's like, yeah. but I know they're talking to Teddy. And it's direct. It's personal. Yeah. And, but it goes, I try to do that a lot when I'm, um, I could be in a restaurant. I always ask a person's name or I look and see what their name tag exactly. says. Exactly. You know, and I find that even if you're like at the drive through and the per- I go to Starbucks or something, and I look and the name's on the name tag and I'll say, hey, thanks, Corey. Yeah. And I'll drive away. Yeah. And he'd be like, oh, thank. Like, have a good yeah. day. But just that little interaction, his, you got they a little perk bit of, up. Yeah. People generally perk up when you address a person directly by their name because now guess what that interaction that i don't want to call it transaction because you know what when you've been doing this this long and this is another thing i say at the shop when you're doing when you've been freaking my shop this long guess what it's not a simple transaction anymore now it's a relationship Mm -hmm. and that's what that that builds on that if you can recognize a person by their name and if you're going to a Starbucks five, six times a week and you see this person on a regular basis, throw the name out there. Mm-hmm. You know, that that just enforces that relationship right there. The fact that a customer knows you by your name and sure, maybe you just work there. You have no personal financial stake in it, but that's got to perk you up a little bit. The fact that someone maybe even made that little effort because you know what? A lot of people don't make that little effort anymore. What, what's a, what's a normal, give me a day in the life of Teddy Chan. I'm up by seven thirty, maybe seven. Sometimes I'll go into my little workout routine. I'll do a few push-ups. I'll play with my steel mace. I'll bring out uh, my bag. I'll put the gloves on. We'll, we'll hit the bag for a little bit. I'm showered by eight. 8.30, I'm out of the house by 8.45. Chances are I'm going to grab breakfast for my parents at McDonald's. I'll go to Sam's Club, pick up a few things. I'll run the breakfast back to them. I'm at the shop by 9.30. And I probably won't leave until 10.30, 11.30, whatever it takes, sometimes 3 a.m. And then do you do your prep work before like, before you leave? Do you do it in the morning? That's Make why sure. I'm there until 3 a.m. sometimes. So your majority of the night, you're the last person walking out of the bottle. Yeah. Or probably almost every night. Yeah. I mean, my head chef, I will bring, there are many nights I'll bring him home when he's done. Even though he, even though I know he has more work, I will just bring him home and be like, I'll do the rest. So, so what do you think you, 
sleep. I mean, what time do you go to bed normally? Anytime from midnight to three, midnight to five. And you, are you always up? Like when you go to bed at five, like what's the next morning? Like, I mean, are you still up doing the same routine? I'm having a Red Bull by then, probably at seven, seven thirty. So it's you, the you same s- routine. The routine doesn't change. So the morning, the work hours don't change. The only variable in my day is when I get to sleep. And that's in terms of time, meaning end of the day. Um, and this is seven days a week. Um, what now your parents, when, when, when do your parents, like, when do they go in? Do they, I've tried to curb their hours. So nowadays they typically show up around maybe I want them to show up at noon, but oftentimes I'll be in by any time between like 1130, 1145. And I try to get them out of there by like 7.30, 8 o'clock latest. So they're still going eight hours. And my dad's 72. Which is crazy because <laughs> most people think eight hours and it's like, God, my full day. Um, Dude, eight hours of vacation for me. Yeah. So like today, what is Wednesday's like? Wednesday. Why is Wednesday like your day where you have like some time? Because anytime I, we've tried to schedule, yeah. which is it's, like I said, I'm you know, flex, trying to be flexible is that like you're like, hey, Wednesday evenings is pretty much my only time. So what's Wednesday evenings? It's kind of the slowest point of the week where on Tuesday nights, I'll do extra prep work so that I can afford myself some time off on Wednesday night. Wednesday night, I kind of take, I call it a date night. So typically I'll, I'll go out to dinner with a female friend. More often times. So instead you're spending it with me tonight. So I appreciate that. Yeah. See, (laughs) see, so you know what I passed up tonight. There you go. (laughs) I passed up companionship. There you go. But oftentimes I'm not going to lie. There's times where I'll just, I'll call it day night, but there are times where I'll just go have dinner by myself or with some friends, nothing romantic involved. But I, I've started like I've, I've, like I've alluded to, I'm trying to value my time a little more. Have you put- I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I don't even have a girlfriend. I just, for me, I feel like if I can just get, get out of the shop, maybe by six, six thirty, and try to have some semblance of a normal life and not be so robotic. That's why I do it for, I guess you could say I do it for mental health. What, uh, do you ever plan on having girlfriend, wife, kids? Is that something that you want, or is that something that that's something I, I def- got friends that say they they don't want to get married, don't want kids. Like that's something I definitely want. I've always wanted that. You know, I've always been the I'm the hopeless romantic type. I I grew up pretty old school. I'm the type of guy that I see a lot of how some people operate nowadays, and I'm the type of guy that will get you flowers. I'm the type that will spoil a love interest. I'm the type that will, when I ask a girl, I want to ask her to her face. You know, I'm not the type that just goes on the phone and hits you up on Facebook messenger. Like that's, that's kind of lame in all seriousness. I'm old school. I like, you know, I like to take a girl on a date. Like I like to go watch a movie. I like to have dinner. I like to have drinks. I like to socialize. I'm not, gonna sit here and blow up your your inboxes with and then you questions you know like can can we just do it old school can we just sit face to face and interact none of this phone facetime stuff come on guys like come on people really the, uh, up your game a little bit so, so anyone <laughs> can do that I, I remember um 
I kind of joke like now, like uh, what's it called? Like dating sites and dating apps are so popular. I've never had a dating app because I, I've been with my w- wife now, but I've been with her since seven years, maybe six, six, seven years, nice. something like that. Good for you. But no, thank you. But it's we just we met in person and like we so like anything we've ever done like yes did we text of course we've texted but course. it wasn't like we were texting like to go out to the date it was just like just texting like i'd normally you text anybody else in yeah. life but um everything we did was in person i think i asked her all the first time in person it was just like that was just our you know it was kind of funny now seeing it's a different i mean different day yeah. and age now like back when i was a kid like we didn't have social media in school and like and and it wasn't like i'm not super old but you know, a lot of these platforms didn't come out. I don't think I was texting anybody until I was in college. Wow. Like my phone, I I go. think I had a phone. You're definitely younger maybe, than I thought. Maybe maybe I text people. Well, I'm 31. So maybe I text people like senior year of high school mm-hmm. on like a flip phone. But it was it was like archaic. And I, I remember the days <laughs> still where you had to like pay for. Uh, per text. Per text. Oh. So I was like, dude, you better spit this out in one word. Yeah. I got about... Let's be efficient bucks. here. I got people. two bucks. I can say, yeah, like, um, so so that was kind of the, those back in the day. But like the, I mean, the dating stuff, like that was always in person. You know what I mean? And that's I'm kind of the same way. I'm like, I get it, but at some point you got to be able to talk to somebody, especially if you're in a relationship with them. Like you got to be able that's, to see that. And that's the thing with my kind of work schedule. I've I've had to let go of a few females a few love interests because my schedule just wouldn't work out. Like, you know, they oftentimes they don't have an issue with it, but you know what I do? Mm-hmm. I feel extremely guilty that someone has to wait for me once a week to hang out. I feel extremely guilty that you have to wait on that one day a week that I might be late a half hour to our mm-hmm. engagement. I feel guilty that if we do hang out, I might pass out within an hour. And for me, I feel like, and I understand that's her time, but I feel like at the same time, wasting your time. And one of my pet peeves is not only a person wasting my time, but I might even be more ticked at wasting other people's time. Yeah. Like I'm, no, I, I agree. I'm kind of the same way. Like I, I think, um, like my thing is like appointments and everything else. Like I keep my appointments. I try to like you know everything structured. It, yeah, and, and like my thing is I ha- I live by a calendar not because not because I'm rigid. Like I'm not. I'm a, I'm a pretty easygoing person. Like I can. I'm very like like you said. Hey, I'm running late. Whatever, dude. Like just you know we'll get here. I it, like it's the last thing that I have during the day. It's not like I'm rushing to another appointment. Um. But I'm also, I run by a calendar because it's a necessity for me because my day is booked and my, one of my like fears is that I don't like to miss appointments. I don't like to be late. I don't like to, all of a sudden you're like, hey, you're supposed to, we're supposed to meet at 12 o'clock. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't put it in my calendar. I can count on easily one hand. I'm trying to think in my, I've been doing this 11 years, I, twice maybe that I forgot and usually Every single time it's happened, it's something with like technology. Like I get a phone and you're transferring data to a phone or you're doing something where it doesn't translate. And yeah. like, cause I said, cause my memory is terrible. I said it and forget it. So if something doesn't translate over or have a, I, I, like, I remember a couple times it happened with technology. It was like transferring technology. And I'm like, 
I swear I must have had that down. I'm like, I did. It transferred. It got wiped away. It wasn't because it wasn't something I reprogrammed in and I missed it. And I felt so bad, but it was like, it, it takes a lot for me to miss an appointment because I'm so neurotic on like, it's in there, it's in there, it's in there. Um, but like I said, it, a lot of it's a respect factor. Because yeah. I want people to respect my time. I want to respect other people's time. I think it's just a common courtesy thing. But um, now I know, I, I guess my question to you is when you talk about working the hours you do and you talk about kind of what you want to do in life, do you ever find that you have to shift stuff, whether it be hours, whether it be priorities, maybe financially, like, Hey, I got, I can't work as many hours. Therefore I'm going to have less money therefore, but it's going to increase my ability to do other things. Like how do you, how do you prioritize stuff in your life as to like what you, what you value? Obviously you work a lot, but then I hear you talk like, you know, Oh, you know, I didn't get to do this or it was long or I'm tired or whatever. Like how sleep, obviously like, um, how do you prioritize everything and what do you value or what would you, or what are you thinking about potentially trying to shift around in your life? Or are you fine with your work-life balance? I mean, it's a, cause it's, I mean, so everybody, like I said, I never, I never like shit on other people's work-life balance. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't live your life. Like I, you know what I mean? I got what works for me and I'm still trying to figure my life out, you know? So everybody's so unique in their situation. But, um, I mean like your work-life balance, is that something that you want to change? Do you, you love it? Do you? I absolutely hate it. I now don't get it wrong. Don't get it twisted. That doesn't mean I hate the work. Mm-hmm. And I don't even, I, you know what? I don't like to use the word hate. I strongly dislike my schedule. I don't mind the work. I don't, I, it takes a lot out of me physically and mentally. I don't mind the work, but I do mind the time that it takes to get it done. Part of it is probably because I'm so picky. I'm such a perfectionist. Even my dad, like my dad brought me into this as a perfectionist because he was a perfectionist. Now it's like, I think my dad is also starting to, especially after um, my brother and his wife had a kid. I think my dad is starting to take his time a little more seriously and value it a little more. That happened to Mr. Wu. Yeah. When this kid started having children. Exactly. Grandkids, 100%. I remember him doing that. And I was like, good for you, man. Like, go out you know? and see those kids. And you know, when I came, even before I came back to the shop to officially tell my parents that, yeah, I'm going to be a lot more active here. I straight up told my dad in the kitchen that day, I'm going to be back. We signed a 10-year lease. I don't expect to have a girlfriend or anything serious in the next 10 years, which also means don't expect me to be married in the next 10 years. And at that time I was 33. Okay. Oh no, not 33, uh, 35. Okay. And in our culture, 35 is kind of late already. And I told him straight up, don't expect. Late for what? Marriage? Yeah. Okay. Don't expect a serious relationship. I gave up a serious relationship for this job. Don't expect a girlfriend because I'm not going to have time. Don't expect grandkids because, again, I'm not going to have time. At the time, my dad was like, yeah, whatever. Okay, sure. You say that now. Seven years later, where am I now, dad? Don't have a girlfriend. Still gave up that st- that serious relationship. We're still best friends. No kids still either. 
I've held up to that end of the bargain because at that time I already knew what it would take. And, you know, how do you prioritize that? I don't know. I'm still working on that. You know, like it started, it starts with Wednesday nights, you know, taking a few hours to myself. Chances are, you know what, after, after this, I'll probably go to Ridley's, grab a beer, maybe grab a bite. And what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to the shop. I'm going to go back to the shop to take care of things so that there's might be less prep work to do tomorrow. That's what I do every night. I prep as much as I can so that there might be less tomorrow to possibly free up time tomorrow. Isn't that like, is it Murphy's law? Why put off something if you can do it today or something? Mur- Murphy's law Did is someone, anything that, that will go wrong or anything that can go That's wrong will Murphy's go wrong. That's Murphy's law. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, I forgot who said the other, what I was referring what, what, to. Say it again. Like why put off something now? Put up, why, why do you why put off something put tomorrow? when you can do it now? Someone said something along those lines, a famous philosopher, I forgot, but that's kind of what I live by when it comes to this business. If I can do it today, why wouldn't I do it today? And my dad, that, and that's where my dad has become a little more lax now because every now and then he'll be like, why are you doing this today? And I straight up tell him because I don't want to do it tomorrow or I don't want you to do it tomorrow. I put in the amount of time I put in so that my dad and my mom doesn't have to do as much because they've been doing this for way too long. Do do you, would you, do you trust other people to do the work that you do? No, I don't think anyone can do it as well as me and my parents because no one's willing to do whatever it takes. Would, I don't want to say no one, but 99%. It'd be tough to find. Yeah. The, well, the reason, the only reason I'm saying this is because I'm kind of going through a stretch right now. And again, I've said this. So anybody's been listening to all these podcasts the last probably three of, of – no, I'm like in a rut. But the rut is I – so like I said, we're, we're pretty new to each other. But I started when I was 21, basically. Got in real estate. I'm now 31. This is my actual 11th year. I started back then, wanted to like obviously grow my business and get better as an agent themselves. So then I started doing that. My goal – uh, 10 years ago, I was being number one agent by the time I was 30 in the entire area. So be the top top producing agent. Work my tail off, grind, 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 grow, grow, grow. Then I got to the point a couple years prior to that, it's about two years ago when I started to take on more of an ownership. My dad owns the business, but like, so I'm like, like again, second generation of the company, but then taking on more of an operation. So you and I are very similar. We have parents that started it and- It's a legacy it for, business. Yeah. That's so I define that. Yeah. So now I'm in it, but I'm in it like- a lot and and um doing a lot of the operations and i love it i love doing it i don't want my dad to do more i mean he to me he's been doing it for 30 something years like now it's time for him to relax yeah. you know retire my mom's retired all that good stuff i look at it now i've gotten to the point where i've started to focus on bigger things because again i get kind of bored and i'm like what's the next step what's the next thing because i want to always challenge myself so basically i hit my 10-year goal and I was, they got to my, my number one thing. So I was okay. Happy with that. But I was, I was oddly okay if I didn't hit it because my mind was now on like a bigger step, like a bigger, um, like not just me, but the company. So affecting more people. Now I've gotten to the point where our company has more agents than we've ever had. Probably production sale wise more than we've ever had that I could, at least in my lifetime by, by almost double. And then, so all this stuff, but what happened again, I have three kids. I I got that. So then I'm trying to figure out for me, how do I leverage my time 
to do stuff without feeling like I'm drowning. Because for me, like an important, like this is going to be the latest I'm going to, I'm going to get home on a work night in probably two years. And it's not, it's, it's, it's fine. But like for me, I really strive to, not that I can't before wiping kids, I, I could grind all day long because I like it. I like doing what I do. But for me, it's like, I like going home. I like hanging out with my kids. I like putting on the bed. I like, like, I like being dad. Then I get up for 35 o'clock the next morning and grind out all day so then I can go home. But I found lately that how I can't do the next steps I need to do to grow with the current schedule I have. So I have to do a couple things. Like I got to either let some stuff go or hire on people to delegate and take that responsibility off. I'm someone that I'm okay delegating stuff to someone else and letting them handle it and trusting that they can do it, knowing full well in my head because I'm kind of a perfectionist too. And it's something that if that's, I, I let it go and, but it also makes me nervous a little bit when I first do it. Cause I'm like, they're going to screw it up and I can do it as well as me. And then I get to the point where I'm like, you know what? I don't think they're ever going to do it as well as me or care as much as me. Cause you're, you're the top person. You, 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 you like, it's like you, you're the top person. So anything that anybody does, they shouldn't work harder than you. You know what I mean? But I look at it as, can they do 80% as good as I can do? And then I got to be willing to take that other 20% off for me to then leverage into other things. And that stuff, that's something I'm comfortable doing. And I'm to the point now, I now have to take another step and do that because I'm, I'm starting to drown in my own work, which is, I, I love my work, but I only have so much bandwidth and my bandwidth now is being full. So do, is that something that you could, do you think you could do? Or is that something that you don't want to compromise? Because some people don't want to compromise on that. And then they just, you could I, say I'm doing that now. Doing which which part? By being here, I've kind of compromised. You've got, yeah, you have because you could have been at the shop. You could have be, like I said, with some other people. business. Yeah. yeah. So, do you find that the would you be willing to compromise on stuff? I guess more in order to have more time away from the restaurant, but that might mean you not having a direct hand in every aspect of it. I mean, it's no right or wrong. It's just kind of like what you value. So I just didn't because you're someone that just works a lot. And I'm not saying that's bad. It's just more of based on that, but based on like other stuff that you say you want to do, do you think that there's an internal or you're just fine with that? See, this is another thing. Maybe this is also a cultural difference. So in our culture, we also, I was brought up to you work your ass off and then you retire. By the time you retire, hopefully you've worked enough and I've been successful to retire comfortably. And that's kind of been my parents. I mean, it was, it's not just been my parents like um, model, but I'm sure their parents, the parents before them through the generations, this has been in the culture. Most of my family members are the same way. They grind, grind, grind until it's time to retire. And then they can retire comfortably, hopefully, which is where my parents are at. I was brought up that way too, which is why like I said earlier, we signed 10 year leases. I've got three more years left on the current deal. I, um, I'm just going to grind. I'm going to grind until it's time to retire whenever that may be. And then maybe I will be able to do other things that I aspire to do in my life. Will it be too late? Maybe it might be too late to do some of those things. But I think at the end of the day, I do what I do so that 
I too can retire comfortably so that the goal's always been financial freedom. That doesn't mean you got to be filthy rich. Some people interpret that as filthy rich. Mm-hmm. You just got to be able, I define financial freedom as me waking up and say, you know what? I want to do this and not have to worry about being able to afford it or not. To me, that's true financial freedom right there. You know, if I can wake up and say, I don't know, I I feel like going on a cruise next week. Boom, it's done. Book it, it's done. I don't have to worry about it. That's financial freedom. That's the level I'm trying to get to. With that financial freedom, there's also other things that I love to do. You know, my parents, the community has supported my parents for so long in this business, 27 plus years now. I just want to give back. At the same time, I work the way I work. I spend the way I spend. And I don't spend frivolously. Some people think I do. It might seem that way. But the bottom line is, I want people to see, especially the younger crowd. You can bust your ass and you can buy yourself nice things. You can bust your ass and get what you want out of life. But if you're going to sit there and talk about busting your ass and not actually physically bust your ass for it, guess what? You're not going to get what you want. So stop talking about it and do it. And that's me. I don't talk about it that much. I don't talk about I'm trying to save up money to buy a a Model S. I don't talk about that. But the day when that Model S shows up, you should, if you know me well enough, You knew how much it took for me to get there. You knew that that was hard work and that's paying off right there. Um, I want people to see that. I don't, there's too much talk. There's too much talk today. There's not enough motivation out there. There's not enough um, go-getters out there. I want to be that go-getter. That's the one thing I want to be remembered for. A person that worked his ass off, a person that was there for the community and when the community needs him, a person that was there when friends needed him, a person that will take care of the community because the community is taking care of him and his family. That's my legacy at the end of the day. And that's, like I said, that, that, that is like your North star as to why you're doing everything. Pretty much. Yeah. I want to be, I want to inspire. I want to enlighten. I want to spread knowledge. I want to show you that hard work does pay off because I see a lot of kids out there that, bitch and moan about what they're doing at work. And I tell the kids all the time, I tell my, I tell the younger generation in the family, I don't give a shit if you're serve, if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's, be the best burger flipper there was out there because someone's going to notice, you know, it might not be management. It might not be your manager or shift supervisor, but you know what? You never know if somebody's going to walk through the door, order something and notice your hustle and be like, Hey kid, I got a job opening probably do better and have open more doors for you there yeah then here kid here's an opportunity do you want it no that's why i tell people to hustle because you never know who's noticing that's uh that's something i've always focused on when i'm doing stuff and you, you know and i think you and i are very similar in this is that extra step that extra email that extra effort that extra call that extra whatever i'm most of that stuff may go and be insignificant but twofold at one point that won't be insignificant meaning that might make the, that might be the tipping point that makes a difference 
Also, it's a mindset. If I'm not, I'm one, if I slack on something, then I know if I get comfortable slacking on that thing, that then has a ripple effect in other aspects of my life. So even if it's something minuscule and I, and it's crazy, but even as simple, I'm trying to give an example or think of an example here, maybe folding my clothes, like laundry. My wife folds most of my clothes. I, I do the laundry, I do the dishes, but she, so maybe that's a bad one, but take like doing the dishes. Like yeah. I'm going to scrub a pot that has all, you know, when you like you cook something and it has a bunch of crap on the bottom and you're like, you scrape it. And there's like a little part that you're having the hardest time getting off. And I could just say, screw it. I'm just going to leave it like that. And I don't. And I scrape it yeah. off to the point. And if it takes me 10 more minutes of scraping this pot until it's completely gone, nobody's going to notice. It's not going to affect our next meal. Nobody's ever, this is like just, but it, to me, it's an internal, it's an, a little internal mental battle that I won. And I look at it as, and I know it sounds like kind of silly, but in the bigger picture, I'm like, if I can scrub that pot so it's clean, I know I finished the job. And I know I didn't allow, allow myself. Um, do you ever play sports? Of course. You know, like when you would run, you do the suicides, you run the line. Yeah. The kids, because the, the, I, I, when I was coaching, I made every, and I had, a, I had a high school basketball coach tell me this. And it was one of the greatest things. He goes, you touch any, no matter what, you touch the line. I don't care if you go past it. I don't care if you put it a half a foot on it. You touch the line. And I, and I tell every single kid, if I don't see you touch the line, then we're going to redo it. It doesn't count. Because the goal is you have to go touchdown. If you're going to score a touchdown yeah. in football, if you don't go it over the line, it doesn't count. So yeah. I said, if you're going to run, and you said, well, I know I put my foot out, but it was like like three inches away. I'm like, did you touch the line? And it's a very black and white answer. I'm not trying to like, I'm not, it's not brain surgery here. I'm like, no. did you touch the line? They're like, well, no, but it's not that big of a deal. I said, that's fine. But then you're allowing yourself to then look at something that's you're then allowing everything else that's not done correctly be satisfactory and it's not in my eyes so and i know it's such a simple thing but i man i like i, I get it and i think the stuff that you're saying with the excellence and and then putting out a product and making sure when i put that product out i know that i can put my name behind that 100 percent guaranteed that, that you're not going to have something that's not good and again if you're like hey I don't trust Galen to be my sous chef and prep it because he's going to screw it up. And even if you taught me how to do it, there's you still know there's a, another in, there's another t intangible that you have that I will never have. And you're like, I'm not willing to compromise even in the slightest. That that means one one customer or one client or relationship leaves my you know my shop less than 100 percent like bought in satisfactory. Like I love this place. It's it's very simple. Think of it. In terms of um, consumer products, why do people buy a Cadillac? Why do people buy an iPhone? Why do you buy the things you buy? Because chances are you probably trust the brand. You trust the marketing behind it. And you have some sort of loyalty because at the end of the day, you've probably built a relationship with that. You know what you're buying. Okay. There's a reason why some of these companies in the world are worth what they are. It's because of what they stand for. It's because of what they represent. You, you pay for quality in life. That's one of the golden rules here. And you can translate it to any business. Same with me. I have to be able to, if I put maximum effort, I know what you're getting and I know what I'm giving you. And to me, that's priceless. You can't, you can't buy that kind of loyalty. I say that all the time at the shop. When people tell me, Teddy, I've been eating, I tried the other place 10 years ago, haven't been back. And what my usual response to that kind of comment, can't buy that, can't buy that loyalty. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Same, same principle. 
you know, you, you have to trust. This is going to sound corny, but you got to trust the process, kids. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Put in the work. I guarantee you, you will get something out of it. Just make sure you put in your maximum effort, you know, because, and I tell the young kids all the time, I see you and your friends. I see you and your friends putting out 70%. Guess what? Back in my day, you had to put 100% because that is the standard. To keep up. Yeah. Yeah. Now I see the standards dropping. I see people skating by at 70. I'm like, dude, you see your boy? He's putting 70%. If you put 75, guess what? You're a superstar. I'm not even asking you to put 100. But back in my day, we were all expected to put 100. You just got to be marginally better to be a superstar nowadays. And that's kind of. When was your first job? When did you first start working and doing something that was labor intensive? I should say. We had a restaurant in New Jersey. And my parents had me there when I was 10, 10, 12. I was waiting tables. And serving people in a sit-down Chinese restaurant. So, so the, the the reason I ask, I have a, a buddy or a good friend of mine, and that's a lot of times he asks people, and we're like talking. I've been in a couple meetings with him now, and he goes, "What was your first job?" Because because the thing is, when you ask someone, I I I didn't get it, and I was talking to him, and he asked me that one day, and we we're just grinding, and I was like getting so fired up about because I I get really like into what I do because I, like I said, it's my work, it's like my it's my craft, you know, yeah. and I remember talking to him and sometimes when i get like fired up you get like not emotional like i'm like crying but i get like my emotions come out like i get get really passionate about it and he goes he kind of looked at me and i was like and he goes when was your first job I'm like what do you mean Re- like in real estate he goes no when was your first job i'm like i said well i first like working job with working papers 14 i said working eight nine yeah. ten pushing lawnmowers you know doing that kind of stuff i would have like, done that too if we had lawnmowers if we had lawns in new york city yeah, in brooklyn yeah. where i and, was at and but it, his whole thing was you can tell the people that grind their face off and, and work because when did you start working was it 18 was it 21 was it you know 15 and you look at the ones that have been just have that ingrained in them it's like i'm 31 i've been i've been working for over 20 years of my life like working in something yeah. and you know not 40 hours a week, not 80 hours a week, not 30, you know, but I always had some type of responsibility from yeah. a young age. And I think it just was something like, like when I was a kid, same thing. My parents was just like, you know, do it, do it well, do it right. Do it like, don't skimp on it. Cause then you're gonna have to redo it. Or you're gonna like take the extra 30% of the time to make sure that you're not going back to redo it, wasting more time or putting out a bad product. And a bad exactly product maybe it. back then was a crappy lawn or maybe a bad product was, I didn't, you know, like sweep the floors or, or mop or vacuum the carpets or something like that. And it's simple stuff. But even today it's like, like I, I'm very, uh, like my wife, like I said, washing the dishes and it's like make fun of me as I'm like scrubbing stuff off. I'm like, there's not gonna be a speck of food on these things. Cause if, if I'm, this is going back in the, you know, this is going back in the, uh, the cabinet cleaner than it came out. It's like the goal, you know? And it's just, yeah. but it's the idea that I'm not, I don't want to skimp on something when I'm like, raking leaves or mowing the lawn or, or sweeping out the garage. Like every leaf out of my garage is getting swept out. Even if it's a little small one, I will literally pick it up and throw yeah. it in the garbage. There you go. But it's just that like touch the line thing. It's like that touch the line mentality. Yes. Just make sure you touch the line. Like don't, don't stick, don't lunge your foot out and come up short. Like if you're going to come up short, then take another half step and touch the line. Like 
it's uh, I don't know. I just think it's like a mental to me. It's a mental thing. Like you just do it. You work hard. You do it right with the right intent. I'm a big intent guy. Like I make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. But if I made the mistake, but my intention behind it was good, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't to slack off. It wasn't to be manip or uh, um, do do someone wrong. Like it was done in my eyes, best judgment at the moment. It was done with the right intent. Then I'm fine with it. I can live with it. You know, even if I made a mistake. So, but there's a lot of like stuff like that that usually I'm okay with anything I do. Like if I say something wrong, I'm like, well, that wasn't, I get it, but it wasn't what I meant. And then, and I, like, I might say sorry to the person because it affected them somehow. But at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? I'm not really mad at myself because I, I wasn't, that's what, that's not what I was trying to get across. And that's mm-hmm. something that, you know, always makes me feel better because it's kind of like, I'm, I'm just like, yeah, chill. I get it. Like, I'm, I'm okay. You know? you know, it's funny. You, you brought up an interesting point before. Oftentimes I've found that when you skimp on something, it's inefficient. Like you said oh. before, like if you cut a corner, guess what? Chances are it's not going to be, it might not be as satisfactory. So you're going to have to do it again or fix it. Maybe you don't have to start from scratch, but you're going to probably have to waste your time and effort later on at some point to correct something that you possibly might have cut a corner on. That, or I think the worst thing, which is I think what you had mentioned before, it's the internal, let's maybe say guilt. But you knew you didn't do it right. Yeah. I and that can't, eats at me. Because that's the thing where I'm like... Can't sleep well. Yeah. Because that's to me, when I talk about intent or effort, I'm like, I didn't do it correctly. And yeah. I know that. And that, that eats at me. Because I'm like, God, like I, I need to be better. I can do it better. Or that was not the best version of myself. Yeah. And that, that is another thing that when I talk about like, you know, meeting with people or appointments or prepping and stuff like that. If I don't prep for something or I'm like late, I'm like, ah, because I know myself. And I'm like, this is stuff that I shouldn't screw up on. And it's on, it's hundred percent on me. Accountability. Boom. This guy. Like, oh yeah. Especially if it's within your realm of control. Exactly. Yeah. And, there's, and if it's not out of my control, then it's out of my control. I don't sweat. I don't sweat the stuff I can't control, but yeah. I try to my best to affect the things I can control in a positive manner. Exactly. Now question for you for the mall. How is business in the mall now versus when you started? Cause obviously, I mean, with the emergence of, Amazon and the emergence of all these other companies where people don't go to the box stores anymore and you're starting to see the mall become more of a ghost town than it's ever been. How has that affected business? Is this something that you guys are like, hey, I think we're, we're always going to be in a mall? Is this something, do you find a shop that you're now standalone? Um, do you, how has it, you've been, you said seven years. How has it changed in seven years and for your parents since the 90s? And you've obviously been visiting in between that. So you've seen like since yeah. the 90s. Here's the thing. Amazon doesn't sell what I sell. Here's another thing. 27 plus years, we've also never delivered. Here's the other thing. I don't know how much my sales and the growth of the business has been because it's been exponential. Part of the reason is it has to be social media. That's definitely helped because people, I don't use You know, in the beginning, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to use social. I, I, I would never wanted to sign up for Facebook. I didn't sign up for Facebook until we became China Cafe. Initially, I thought, okay, I guess this is free marketing. Sure, let's use this to post some pictures of food. And then it came to a point where I was like, you know what? You don't get any engagement here. Anyone can post pictures of food. I see, here's another thing I learned from other businesses. 
Oftentimes, you'll see a restaurant post, here's our special of the day. And that's it. I'm like, you don't got anything more for me? Like, don't, don't you want to encourage people to interact with this piece of intel you just dropped on the community? So I've started to use social media. Well, I didn't just start pretty much in the beginning almost. I've realized that, you know what? Tell people a story. Show them, possibly go behind the scenes. Show them what it takes to bring it to their plate sometimes even. You know, every now and then. I'll post a picture of a video of my dad making, literally making egg rolls. Because I remember the first time I did that video, it was a direct response to a dude that asked me, where do you buy your egg rolls from? I said, you know what? Check, check the Facebook post tomorrow. I'll tell you where we buy it. So I just post a video of it, you know? And I told him like, I'm not going to tag you in it, but just be on the lookout. Your answer will be there. He showed up two days later. He's like, I'm sorry. I... With the rise of social media, I've used it as an educating tool. I use it to enlighten people, people that have no clue what it takes to do what my parents have done. And I don't use it to bash other businesses. You know, I don't know what they're doing. I don't care much what they're doing. But that's one way I differentiate. I'm at least willing to open up and show you that my parents aren't robots, that they don't just work open to close every day of the year for the past 27 years. And people appreciate that. And that's definitely been one way I've been able to grow the brand. And here's another thing. I never thought of it as a brand. I used to just think of it as um, just just a business, just a shop until another business owner came to me. He said, Teddy, I really like what you've been doing with the social media. You know, you've, this is becoming a brand now, right? It's not just work anymore. This is a bigger thing. This is about your culture. This is about your values and how you guys run your lives and how you guys try to just rise above and just not be mediocre. It's through these ways where I have not been affected by the decline of brick and mortar. Because at the end of the day, we've established the faces. My parents are still the faces of the franchise. We've established the work ethic. We've established what we try to project ourselves to be. That's something that Amazon can't touch. That's something DoorDash can't touch. You, I can't even tell you how many times a week DoorDash reaches out to me. And would I love to deliver? I honestly would love to deliver. But at the same time, I'm not willing to give up 30% to DoorDash. You know, I don't, I know DoorDash has done wonders for some businesses. But as a small business, that 30% is a lot to swallow. Yeah. I'm not willing to. If anything, this might sound cocky. You guys should pay me to be on DoorDash. In I mean, DoorDash. 
if you want me so bad, give me an incentive. But that all goes back to, if I was to actually legit start delivering, I don't think I can handle that, that spike in demand. I can't even imagine what the wait times are going to be like. When yeah. we reopened after the pandemic, I had people waiting in line two hours for food. Really? That's I cannot even tell you how humbling and honored I am for that, that you would wait two hours. Some people did. Those first two days we were open, yeah. How, how did... Uh... That's part of the experience, though. Here's the thing. I feel like... You seen the movie White Castle? Harold and Kumar, right? Years ago. Okay. Yeah. But you see how it's part of the experience. The experience. The fact that they had to go through so many hurdles to just get that physically go to get their sliders, their crave cake, their crave cake crate. That's kind of I feel like part of the experience is the fact that I'm sorry I don't deliver community. The fact that you have to come and get it. I feel like there's some sort of satisfaction there in making that journey and seeing the and seeing one of us or all of us there and seeing you be able to customize your plate and have it brought to you like that. I don't know of I mean let's be honest, Chipotle does the same thing, but guess what? You can also get it delivered. Mm-hmm. Will will your server at Chipotle remember you? Will they relate to you? Will they ask you how mom's doing? We haven't seen mom in a while. The, uh, I think what it goes back to, like you said, with doing the delivery or doing and kind of brand, but we go back to that 80-20. Like 80-20 at the end of the day, if you're like, listen, this, I know what we do. It's not, it's one, it's not super authentic to us, but also the idea is, like you said, part of the experience is coming in and seeing the Chan family. It's not like, hey, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to run out the door. Some some guy in DoorDash going to hop out of a Toyota Corolla and hand you your meal and then he's out. You know, so I think, like you said, part of that. And then the other thing is, like, I've known your restaurant. I've ate at your restaurant before. Like, I've never known you, but not in a, not a bad way, but I've never actually personally known you. But I follow you on social media now. And then, like, this never would have happened if you were on social media. I don't think I ever would have walked up to you and said, hey, Teddy, you want to be on the podcast? Because I just didn't. Even if I saw you there all the time, unless I built a huge relationship and I was like a regular every single week, I don't know if that would have happened. But social media allows me because we're all like we're busy, we're doing our own thing. Yeah. Like, like I don't go in the mall that often purely because I don't go shopping that often. You know, I just you know my wife does the shopping. A lot of it's like pick up stuff, and, and I look at it as I feel like I know your company, and I feel like I know you. I feel like I know your parents. Never talked to your parents, but I feel like I know them. I see them like videos and stuff. And for me, you're building a community of people. On and I've done the same thing in real estate. Like you start building up a community of people, and it's bigger than real estate. Like real estate's yeah. cool. I like it. But why do I do podcasts? This has nothing to do with real estate. I like talking to people. I like like when I, when I talk about long term goals of things I want to accomplish. Like a lot of it has to do with building relationships and building up the community and everything else. I use this platform one to get to know people. Two, I find it's fun. I like talking to people, learning about stuff. But then same. three, it's like you learn it. It's you grow a community base. I had uh, Danielle Talley on before. She's an acupuncturist. I go see her. I think she's fantastic. And she's very wealth of, a big wealth of knowledge. And then you get to know her, what her goal is. And I find that people that are high performers, even this is local people. I mean, 
99% of the people that I've interviewed live in Clinton County, you know? So when I look at that, the high achievers typically have a higher level of above and beyond their product, you community, you like, you know, building up the, the, you know, the people that have helped me build myself up. Like you're, you're looking up beyond the transaction. You're looking beyond, Hey, here's sesame chicken. Like you're looking beyond that. And I think that's what happens is I, I typically get attracted to people that I know are grinding their face off because they're trying to make a difference. And that's the one that gets my adrenaline going. Cause I love that stuff. Like the stuff you do, it's different. We're in different fields, but it's the same. There's a lot of similarities, a lot, a lot of, uh, parallels that I can draw from you. And the idea that you can go and you can tell your story on Instagram and you're, you're a dynamic character, man, on, on like social media. <laughs> I love your posts. I see them. You know, when you go on, so I don't, I'm not a big scroller of social media. I go on, I post, I go on and like, usually when you log in, if I have comments or whatever, I'll check kind of the yeah. analytics of how it's doing. And then I'll scroll down three or four thumbs. Not much. I mean, I'm not like sitting there aimlessly going through <laughs> social media. You pop up in that initial scroll. You're probably my top 10, 15 people that pop up in my thing consistently. And the variety of what you post, because a lot of it too, like you said, you're pulling back the layers. It's not just Teddy, you know, at the shop, at behind the counter, out talk, mingling with people, back in the kitchen. It's not just that. Like, like th- this is this is topics that I get. I got purely off of your social media, and it's a wide variety. I got Instagram posts. I'm going to talk to you about turning stone and cards before we leave. <laughs> your basketball, your shoes, working out. Um, I had a couple things. COVID, top selling food. I'm assuming your top selling food is probably sesame chickens. My still, guess, still, still. Because that, that's never changed, right? That's still, <laughs> Not yet. yeah. That's. I, I almost like wrote it down. I'm like, I already know the answer. <laughs> um, then day trading, and I didn't know you were a finance guy, but I see you do the day trading. Tesla, which did you roll out in a Tesla? Just sitting right behind you. Yes, and you know it was mine in front. Yes, I did. Yeah. So um, I do my research. Yeah. So I want. I want to. I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, local matters. I know you were doing a lot. You plugged a lot. You know, um, High Peaks Brew. I've seen Rebecca's a fantastic young lady, mm-hmm. and she. I saw you post some stuff about her. Um, you had some stuff on Pokemon, which I grew up like the original Pokemon back <laughs> yep. in the day. And then I was talking about food. Like this is all stuff that I gathered just purely because you're you like a dynamic guy. Like you, you post. Like you said, you pulled back the layers where I feel like I know a ton of stuff about you, and I've never met you. Like in person, I've never met you. I might have seen you. I might have passed by you. We like, but I don't think we've ever like acknowledged like. That's Teddy. That's Galen. You know what one but, of my peeves are? If we're friends on social media, anyone, any one of you listening out there, if we're actually friends on social media, can you please introduce yourself in person if we've never kind of introduced each other in person? If they see you. Yeah, because isn't that, that's one of the purposes of social media, is it not? Like, that was one of my big things, like, I always say to people like, why oftentimes I'm the one to initiate. Mm -hmm. Let's say I go to Ridley's and I see someone that looks like someone on my, on my uh, friends list, right? You know, I'll, I'll sit there for a minute. I'll analyze. I'll make sure I'm like, how sure am I? I got to be at least 51% sure, (laughs) you know? And then there, if that person doesn't approach me, especially if we make eye contact and you still don't approach me. I'm going to sling a drink your way and I'm going to come by and introduce myself and make sure you are who I think you are. Because you know what? That is the point of social media. If we're going to be friends on some social media platform, Mm -hmm. can we at least say hi to each other in person? So many times someone says to me, yeah, 
yeah, Teddy, what's up? Um, they say it on a social media post. Oh, yeah, I came by and, and picked up some food from you last night or the day before, right? I'm like, dude, why don't you say hi? Like, <laughs> yeah. why don't you introduce yourself? Like, uh, why? Like, can't we just break down that wall, people? Do, do you think it's maybe because at a, they would know, I should say, they would know you in context if they saw you. Like I'm saying, like if someone saw me in like real estate or they saw me like some, you know, kind of a normal function or business function. But if someone like saw me in the grocery store, they may not even know it's me. Because sometimes, like you said, like, look, God, that looks like Teddy. I don't know if it's Teddy. Like, do you think you get some of that or do you like, or do you think that some people would just like have that awkward tendency? Like if I saw you walking around now that I've like formally met you, I 100% I'll say hi. Hey, what's up, man? Like, because I'll see you and I'll notice you like, and you know. Definitely, if I'm like walking through the mall and I see you, well, yeah, hundred percent, I'm gonna say what's up, you know. And that's, but that's me. I like talking to people. Yeah. But I, I, I get what you're saying is that I have people that they're just like the the keyboard warriors. Yeah, they're gonna be social on the keyboard. Yeah. Why don't I, I think it's social? the interpersonal stuff. Like that's why I love talking to people. Like I like, I like the I like the human interaction. Yeah. I don't mind social media. I don't like. I still pay my credit card at the bank. Oh really? No. <laughs> that's I, I, how much interaction I like. Still. That's all right. Hey, I, I still value that. Yeah, and, and I think. Um, no, I mean like for you too, especially if you're like, you guys know where I am and like someone's there like hundred percent, unless like I said, if, if I like go to pick up food and like you're in the back, then I'll be like, okay, well I don't know where he is, but yeah, if I see you for sure. Dude, like, I'll tell up? you what's the worst. Oftentimes when me and my friends go out, you can tell like if I'm hanging out, you can tell people sit in the corner and be like, yo, cause they're looking at you. And if you look look back at them like you can tell like <laughs> for some reason they're scoping you out and you know what they're talking about because they make it so obvious oftentimes they might not even far away they'd be like hey uh is is that teddy like that kind of looks like teddy and if i'm looking at you and you're saying that why don't you just yeah. say it <laughs> to do, my face do, like do, do you find that i know this sounds crazy because i'm gonna go over there right now if you don't do, do you find that you're like a semi-local celebrity at times just an average joe but like i but like so this has happened before where i've social media allows you to branch out but there's people that know me that i don't know and not 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 like disrespectfully don't know it's just they follow me i don't follow them back or someone follows me i don't, I don't know who that person is and or the amount of times i've gone in like oh yeah you're the real estate guy or we went in uh we were in the delivery room for one of our kids I would say over the like maybe 48 hours total that we were in the hospital, four people came up that had no clue they were. They were all nurses and said, oh, you aren't, don't you real estate? Oh, yeah. You sold my mom or you sold my sister. You sold my brother a house. Yeah. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, who, who's your brother? Like, yeah. and But then I have a conversation with them. But it's, I, I find – do you find that the amount of people that follow you or at least know who you are – maybe don't follow you, but at least know who you are – that you could be as like – it's like if you were watching the news and one of the newscasters is on. Tom Messner's on. Like everybody knows Tom Messner. I see yeah. Tom Messner. I'm like that's Tom Messner. Like, but and Tom Messner would be like, I don't know. I'm just a guy who lives like over here and rides hey, bikes and skis I, and everything else. I just hang out with Ken Drake when allowed, when available, and I try to just have some of his shine rub off on me. That's it. Just a little bit presence. of the, little but, bit, uh, a little bit of the osmosis of. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people have. This is not the first time someone's asked me that. I'm like, no, I'm just a regular Joe. I just um. But do you find I often say there, there's only one celebrity in Plattsburgh, actually. Can you guess who? Just one. I was going to say Tom Messner. No. Ben Stiller. When he comes to town. When he comes. Yeah. Did you ever see Ben Stiller when he was in town? 
negative. I wanted to go to Bobby's that one night, but I couldn't make it. Obviously work. He drove by me. I was driving down here, taking a right, kind of right at the dress code. Yeah. And he was looping around. 100% him. Because he had a cap on, but you could, I mean, nose, everything like that's been so He was driving in a, a like a, like a metallic gunmetal SUV, Jersey plates, blacked out rims, kind of like tinted glass a little bit, obviously okay. back tinted. Not, I'm like, and he was driving down this way. I think he was going over and scouting out that area right there. And I'm mm-hmm. like, hundred percent him. Cause they, when they were filming, they had all their stuff out here. Oh really? So I, I was down in the bottom thing. I'm looking like, what is all these trucks? I came, I was like, I was early in the morning. I got here like six, seven in the morning. And I came out, I'd run out to my car it's like nine in the morning. It was like Saturday. I was just like working early on Saturday, just kind of coming in, like kind of like probably you, like putting in extra hours before everybody wakes up. And I get out, and like there's all these vehicles are starting to arrive. And that was when they were shooting up here, up on uh, Margaret Street. So that was kind of cool. I'm like, I didn't see anybody up there. And then when I drove out, it was all blocked off police cars and stuff. I never went and like watched them. I didn't care enough to do that. But yeah, that's that's the uh, yeah local celebrity, I guess. Ben oh, speaking of celebrities, I actually served a celebrity one time, and I didn't even know here or yeah at my shop okay one summer i think it was about three or four summers ago i think her name is zoe kravitz oh london kravitz daughter yes really uh she's been in a few that's the only reason why i recognize her because i saw a few movies afterwards and i i remember when i swiped her card i looked at the card i was like zoe kravitz like okay interesting Go home, watch a few movies. I'm like, that girl looks like Zoe Kravitz. These Go are- to the credits. I'm like, God, it was Zoe Kravitz. I'm like, I love that girl. She did so well in the movies that I watched. And I was like, I was like, really? That was Zoe. What was were you doing from here? From the city to Montreal. I, I didn't ask. She was with two two kids. She came by, grabbed a couple of meals, had sit down. Nobody bothered her. I don't think anybody even noticed. I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, oh. Interesting. She'll probably never remember, but hey, I, well, that I think, happens. I think, um, yeah, the amount of people that pass through, like Plattsburgh, like eighty I eighty seven, it's New York to Montreal. So I mean, yeah. you think about, um, like sports teams. You think about musicians. You think about like it's funny because where I grew up, I was half a mile off the exit. You mm-hmm. know, north, but Chase but half a mile off the exit. So like, like the amount of it was kind of funny. Like how many how many like professional musicians, like well known musicians, passed a mile of me just drove by my house basically and you don't know they go driving by three yeah. to three o'clock in the morning but it's kind of funny when you actually think about like plattsburgh on the map because it is geographical like you said mall it's just a south strate- of strategic location actually yeah. a lot of people it's it's not completely off the map guys i mean we had the air force base here according to what i learned through history supposedly hitler wanted a bomb Plattsburgh Air Force Base because this was the closest, largest Air Force Base to Germany. And I don't remember who mentioned this to me. Yeah. But it was someone credible. If it wasn't credible in my book, I wouldn't have brought this up, actually. Probably because, you know, when you take a plane, how they don't, it's not like a straight line. You go up over the, yes. they have certain ways that they go up and over. So when you go to Europe, you typically go up like over like Greenland and Iceland yes. and you dip back down. That was probably it because proximity from that to Germany was much a shorter geographical around the globe than, you know, DC straight across to, you know, going a little bit more equator kind of deal. Yeah. Equator, but you know I mean? A little bit lower on the latitude there. So, um, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if one of history's most infamous people knew of Plattsburgh, come on. I think Plattsburgh's sphere of influence is a lot greater than what other, what some people might think here. Um, I was in Saranac Lake the other day and you know, it blew my mind. 
Do it. Okay, so you're a finance guy. Actually, this is even funnier. You're a finance guy. Chinese background. You know Jack Ma, obviously, Alibaba? Yeah. Did you know that he bought a place in Saranac Lake? Not a place. Bought like thousands of acres in Saranac Lake. Uh, you know what's funny? I think my dad mentioned it to me a, a little while ago. So I didn't know. There's a friend of mine mentioned this the other day. She goes, yeah, Jack, Jack, Jack Ma bought um, this place. I'm like, no, he didn't. She started to describe it to me. I'm like, like, like almost like <laughs> aha moment. Obviously, I'm in real estate. I'm like... I remember that sale closing like five to seven years ago. He bought like thousands of acres for like 20 something million. And I remember it being 20 something million dollars like as the asking price. I mean, this is, there's no way someone's going to pay it. Like I not know that they wouldn't pay it if they had the money, but I'm like, who's going to pay the money? Yeah. And I remember it closing cash. The only reason I remember is the guy that sold it, sold two units all year. It was that. And he double ended. He sold like 40 something million dollars in volume which if you do the math on that it's a really nice payday for yeah. one year so i remember looking at it and it had like the buyer's name was like something ch- there's fireworks going on right there someone just blasted fireworks what a world i don't know what was it say? may what 11th 12th is that celebration 12th i don't even know where that is somewhere in the city um sorry that just like caught my eye so like he bought this and it said something like china something and i was like back then i'm like oh some person from china not knowing it was him and i'm like oh that makes sense he could probably you know oh by the way here's 20 mil but i just thought it was kind of funny but that's when you talk about like local people that like own places up in this region it's like it's pretty incredible like people that vacation and you don't even know they're yeah. around here and you find out like oh by the way they nope that person lives here that person sigourney weaver has a place like in like right in the adirondacks and it makes you wonder like a lot of presidents I guess, went there i guess it might be a vacation home maybe do you go on a lot of vacations or no not lately. Not I just I wasn't sure because like you went to. to Turning Stone that one time, so I wasn't like not long ago. But yeah, do you guys plan like as a family, like hey, let's cut out for a week here or a week there? Is that? I mean, we've guys- done that in the past uh, a few years ago. I mean, my brother got married in China, so we had to take time off for that. We were gone for three weeks. Oh, cool. we've been to Japan as a family. We go to Hong Kong as a family. We go to China mainland as a family too. Where's your family from in China? My dad's from the mainlands a place called Guangzhou. My mom is from Hong Kong. Um, Hong Kong's an island, right? Just off? Correct. Okay. Correct. Is it still separate or is it still part of... Is Hong Kong its own country or is it territory or... In 97, it-, it became a territory of China. It was returned from Britain. The original deal was for 100 years of British rule, I think. It was 199. In 97, it went back. So now it's part of China. Again. It's part of China, but supposedly, you know, they're... They're hands off in terms of the government. That's kind of been a lightning rod the past year and a half, two years now. Did your mom have any? She grew up there. You said, yeah. Did she have any British influence then when she was there? She had a British passport. Really? Yeah. Wow. During the time and you're there, you have a British passport. So was she a British citizen? Not anymore. I think. I but, think but they made you choose. Yeah. I think. At, really. I think towards expiration of that contract, they had to choose. Was there a lot of British people that lived there? Yeah. I mean, for those that don't know, Hong Kong is a very strategic port because it's oftentimes, southeast, right? oftentimes to facilitate trade with mainland, a lot of the product will go through Hong Kong first and then go to it. So Hong Kong, it was a strategic port. It was in the middle. And sometimes it was easier to just ship things to Hong Kong as opposed to directly into the mainland. 
all sorts of issues there. Hmm. All sorts of. I don't know the Chinese history that well, but it's it's a fascinating country. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff. Like I mean, it's just it's another world. You know what I mean? It's just oh, like yeah. you're so. It's I mean, it's obviously the biggest player in there, but the Eastern Hemisphere or Western Eastern Hemisphere. You know, so it's. Um, I love visiting. How how often have you been back? In the mainland, I've only been maybe three times my whole life. Were you born there or here? Brooklyn. Okay. I was born in Brooklyn. You like a biggie guy? I love biggie. Who doesn't love biggie? I love biggie. My son knows who biggie is. Too. But He's I also Spider-Man. love but I also love Tupac, so. Um, <laughs> I, I I just like good music. So a couple questions I had from you away from work, because I think like again, you're you're a fascinating guy here. So thank you. Basketball, jersey, shoes. Are you a basketball fan? Michael Jordan's the GOAT. Well, you're wearing the shirt now, so exactly. did you watch the documentary? Of course. I watched it three times. Did you? So, yes. So was this like growing up in the 90s, this you, was your jam? You know what I did? Every Because I was watching it live when they first aired it on ESPN, right? Uh, a lot of people... Too. Yes, I did too, back in April. Well, yes. April of last year. A lot of people didn't realize that Netflix had a hand in producing this, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, every time they aired the episode that went live, I put on a jersey and I put on a pair of Jordans and kicked back open a beer and watch the show it was incredible like that 10 part series was one of the best documentaries i've ever seen of all time and but here's the thing it's very skewed too how so it was all told from jordan's perspective for the most part they were not they were not allowed to go de- put it this way this documentary did not get put out unless jordan approved of it so think of think of the omissions think of the things that the, uh, they weren't to play baseball. Think of the things allegedly, they weren't allegedly. <laughs> think of the things they weren't allowed to ask. Think of the topics that could have been covered but couldn't because Jordan wouldn't approve it. They, and I love Jordan, but here's, but it's very heavily skewed at the same time. But they did ask him about was the baseball season a suspension, and I mean obviously he's going to say no, but. I mean, they, they straight up asked him. So, I mean, I can't, you can't fault the, I, in my eyes, you can't fault them because they brought it up. They, you know, whether or not he wants to answer it, whether or not that's factual or not, but he was straight up said it's not. And then was it uh, David Stern came on and said the same thing. Yeah. But obviously David Stern at the time, you know, it's kind of like, is it conspiracy almost like, did he, did he leave at the peak of his, you know, the peak to go play baseball and then came back and won three more. Do, do you remember them asking Scotty anything? Older Scotty. About not- the, about the suspension. About anything. Scott, so this was my, this is my thing. I, I remember, and you're going to laugh at this. I remember Michael Jordan that he was on the Bulls. I remember as a kid having like a, not a Bulls jersey, he had like a knockoff of like 23 black and white and uh, black, red letters and white pinstripes jersey. And I remember Space Jam. Like, I mean, cause I was at the time when he won his last championship, 98, I was eight years old. Oh. So I and I wasn't really in basketball at the time. I mean, I like was starting to catch on, and yes. I knew Michael Jordan, I knew Patrick Ewing, and I knew Reggie Miller. Those were the top three back in the. Those are like the three guys. One was the Knicks, Reggie Miller, because he was the Pacers, and they were always in the champion. They were always like in the conference finals. Yeah, it's funny you brought up three strong East powerhouses from the era. Yeah, and that, but that's why. The that, West. But that's why I knew him. I never really followed the West West okay. side of the basketball. Um, not, not back then. And of course, when you start watching the documentary, uh, most of the people. For the most part, they brought up was like the Pistons, it was the Pacers, it was the Knicks. Yeah, those his the, nemesis. Those, yeah, those were those yeah. were the guys. And then typically when they went to the finals, most of the finals like they played like the Supersonics. They played like Gary Payton. They played like you know they Carmelo. Yeah, and the Jazz. So the Jazz. I should Barclay say the Jazz. And the Suns. 
Yeah, and I didn't. I knew more of the 97, 98 Utah Jazz because that was kind of when I was getting into sports. Mm. Uh, but a lot of this stuff was eye-opening for me. I didn't. I mean, I knew of Michael Jordan. I knew he was good. And then when you actually start, like, because I grew up, I was a huge LeBron guy. 2003, I followed LeBron, St. V's, St. Vincent, St. Mary's. I used to watch LeBron all the time. I watched him go into you know, Cleveland. I watched him do the whole thing. I don't follow basketball as much. I still like LeBron. I still think he's, fan, like, I mean, incredible. Um, you looking forward to Space Jam? But I'll be honest, not much. No. Same. No. I, the, the original one, I'll watch again anytime. Like, you got Larry Bird. You got, I mean, you got you got the crowd there. Like, I, um, I mean, that, that, the guys they had in that, Barkley, I mean, you can't replicate that. I mean, they're going to probably do the same. They'll probably bring Steph Curry in. They'll probably bring, they'll bring like, maybe James Harden. They'll bring some of the, the uh, more mainstream guys now. It's not going to be the same. Charles Barkley, you know, you got, like I said, Larry Bird's playing golf and they're just hanging out. Like, it's just like a whole nother, they did the magnet hole in one. Remember that as a kid, like just the goofiness, but, um, to find Michael Jordan back then and what he did and then put in the perspective of back then. And then you're just realize like, like I love LeBron, but God damn, like Jordan was, I mean, he's on his own Mount Rushmore and I mean, you obviously there's not, LeBron's not even in the conversation for you. Uh, Here's the thing. Here's the thing. A lot of people want to compare the two, right? Heads ahead. It's like comparing. You watch golf? Yeah. Jack Nicholas and Tiger. You hear it all the time. That's... You can't. It's two different eras. Today's game is soft. Um, Are you talking about NBA? Yeah. Okay. Today's I, I would, game is I would 100% soft. agree. Um, it's not even the same game. So it's hard to compare. Like. As much as I love MJ, and some of you will probably crucify me for this. As you're wearing the MJ jersey. <laughs> can he be just as dominant in today's game? Same frame. He's not adding any muscle. You're bringing prime MJ to today's game. Can he bang with some of these guys? His jumper will probably still be good. But will he have enough muscle so, to pull any of those post moves that he used to pull. So, because let's be honest, today's NBA guys are probably faster and they're definitely stronger and they're definitely bigger now. So my answer to that question is no. And I think that's an unfair comparison just for the fact that you can't compare errors. You can't compare because Michael Jordan, they even said in the documentary, he's saying they're trying to like bench press. Like he's bench pressing. I think that's like 185. I'm not a strong dude. I can do 185 for reps, you know? So I'm like, Okay, LeBron, 260, built like a brick shithouse that's yeah. going to run you over. Him and MJ, one-on-one, he just couldn't compare. And I'm not, not putting, again, if you disagree, <laughs> I don't care. Take, but I'm saying Michael Jordan, frame of Michael Jordan back in the 90s, or uh, LeBron now. Different athlete. I mean, you're talking 20-year difference. LeBron Ball, High School was bigger than MJ, I think. They, very similar. They were very similar. LeBron's first couple years in the NBA as a almost a teenager. Wasn't he six nine already? Oh, I mean, or he was six, a, eight? I, mean he was I just remember. I just remember the old Saint V's. Remember they played the Oak Hill against Carmelo. Yeah, I just remember him grabbing the ball. And I mean, he was just he was doing dunks, and I'm like, he would win the slam dunk contest today. As a yeah, as a high school if he went in, and yeah. it wasn't. And he's not even like that's not even his jam. The thing with LeBron, you can't compare the frame because I would say could Michael Jordan. Is Michael Jordan the most competitive? Without a doubt, nobody would beat him. That guy had a—he had something loose up there. Like, I mean, and, I mean, it helped him, but he's—he yeah. was on the spectrum of like crazy, out of this world competitiveness. If you take 
him, or he's at, he's at the top. He's at the very end. So if you take that, bring his mentality in, allow him the same physical resources, the lifters, the nutrition, the training. I mean, they got done a game and they, went and they were drinking what Miller Light in the back, yeah, like on I the, phys- the physio table. <laughs> him and Red, or him and uh, I mean, all the guys. smoking cigarettes back there too. If I he recall. had cigars before Someone games, had cigars, after we games, had cigarettes like, there. I was like, whoa, okay. In, in the locker room, and yeah. you got Phil Jackson just kind of walking in. They're all drinking beer, and he's like, all right, guys, good, good game. All right, Michael Jordan's he's smoking a cigar before he goes and plays, and different. It was like Babe Ruth eating hot dogs in the dugout. Like that's it's just a different time period, but competitiveness. Le- LeBron is competitive. They're all competitive. You don't get to that level without being competitive. But physically, head to head, LeBron would would just crush them all day long. But their games were different. Michael Jordan, I think, got the best out of players. I don't think. I think LeBron does. I think, but I don't think he gets it as much. I think he. And the other thing is LeBron. I was looking at the stat the other day because I asked a buddy of mine. Who's the all-time leading scorer? Because it's some stuff I knew as a kid, and I might again my bandwidth is just full. All my sports knowledge is, is crap. But Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is number one. But then you start going back down. And MJ was like two or three on the list, and then start looking at the other stats of MJ. That was really his only claim to fame from like a statistical standpoint. Was kind of up there. Then you look at LeBron. LeBron's like in the top three or four in scoring or five. Yeah. And he's like up there in like rebounds and assists and steals and blocks. I mean, he's got a complete game. And that's the difference is LeBron, the amount of, I mean, Michael Jordan might've got triple doubles. LeBron gets him on the regular. Like LeBron shows up, he's probably getting a triple double one out of every two, three games, probably every three games, roughly. If he really tried, if he really wanted to. Oh, we could do it every, yeah. How many times has he been at eight or nine rebounds? Here's the other thing. He's also played many more seasons, many more playoff games too. LeBron. Yes. Yeah. And, and when people give shit. He's had to, more time to compile the resume. The one thing that always annoys me is when people give LeBron shit, oh, he's, he's he's taking off some games. Like, this guy's overpaid. I'm like, listen, this guy's playing 82 games. He's playing every other game. No offense. He's not playing at, like, what you would already play at pickup basketball. This guy's running up and down the court, slamming himself against the best basketball athletes effort. in the world. Max effort, Yeah, I mean, his, his, he's maximizing his output. And I'm like, so he wants to have a night off just to, like, relax the guy's 30 something years old i think he's fine give him a day off he's fine because guess when he's he's ready to jam when he goes in that playoff run that's a month and a half long what, what's the real prize here the championship yeah he doesn't need to go he doesn't need to go 82 and 0 he's like i need 65 and 15 i need to make the playoffs and then i need to run the table yeah and that that's always the goal that's always the goal and, and any real competitor you got to make it to the dance mm-hmm. and then that's where the real games start that's the the real season really yeah, it's, when you're like, on any good team, that's the real season. Like I love golf. Like all the players that are players that are are, are established, yes, they want to win week in and week out. They want to win four times a year, four majors. That's all they want to win. Yeah, Tiger every year ones. wants to peak for the Masters. Same with tennis. You want to win the Grand Slam. That's it. The Grand Slam tournament. Nobody cares if you won the Rogers Cup in Montreal. Like yeah, you want no to win because you want you want to play. Yeah. But any of those players would be like, hey, would you trade that for a Wimbledon? Yeah, uh, I'll trade ten of them for a Wimbledon. You know, yeah. and that's it's a no brainer. Not all the elite competition show up to those regional tournaments no the and, non-majors and you're not pulling the best out you win a major everybody's come to play they're doing extra prep they're doing extra practice they're being extra like they're being extra tedious and doing little things they wouldn't do on a normal tour stop um the uh just kind of watching our time here but what time we got right now i don't know good question my clock's wrong so 30 that's what i was wondering oh, oh we're so far back when daylight <laughs> savings comes this clock is two hours behind i thought i'd moved it up and i didn't and this thing's so far back that's hilarious um 
I'm not going to get to everything. So we're going to jump into my like things I really feel strongly about. That's fine. I can always come back to if you want. You can. This is actually this is this is good. This is like great. Like getting to know you. The Tesla. When'd you get your Tesla? Which one do you have? A Model Y, red with the black rims. Well, my it's my parents' vehicle. Okay. You know that again. This is another thing. Like hard work pays off. People, people be talking about. You know, like, you want to buy nice things? Work for it. My parents worked hard for this. Bottom line. Do you, I mean, do they love it? They do. Um, do you love it? I love it too because, and I said this way before I, we bought the Tesla. Russia was cutting production on oil. Middle East was cutting production on oil. What does that mean when you limit supply? Price goes up. Why? That's one of the reasons why I bought EV. Another reason why is because if I invest in a company, I invest in the product. That's the best way to support the company, other than buying shares, of course. That Tesla sitting there is a testament to how much I believe and we believe in the company and what it stands for, what it makes, what it produces, and their long-term vision. So I when did you get it? Recently? December. Oh, me too. Oh, oh nice. I got it like December 12th, 15th, 17th. Oh, we are like almost on the same shipment. Sweet. So, um, model three, I got the model three. Yeah. I was almost going to get the Y, but I just, I, I just like the three. I like the look of it and I, I like the little like whippy sportiness, but mm-hmm. every single car, when you say the model S, like <laughs> that's what I want. But now we have the plaid edition. The plaid I know. Plus. I know in, in a perfect world, I'm not a big car guy. I was never really a big car guy. My wife actually likes cars more than I do. And when I started like looking at cars with her, I was like, okay, now I know why people get like excited about certain features of cars. Yeah. And I was always like, give me from point A to point B. And I still, still before I bought this, I was the same thing. It wasn't like, I really don't splurge on like a lot of stuff. I like I had a CRV. I was like, and it was good. I got to point A to point B. And I ended up uh, driving, I got to drive a Tesla back in August. Okay. And I like Tesla. And I've always liked the idea of EV cars back with when Chevy Volt came out yes. and it had a 40, it was a hybrid. Yep. And it was a 40, um, 40 mile limit, and then it kicked on the gas. And I'm like, that is absolutely incredible to get away from gas. This was, I mean, yeah. this was, I don't know, it was eight, nine, ten years ago, whenever that first came out. And I remember thinking, I 100% want to have a non oil producing car. Not because I'm like this like big environmentalist, but I liked it for the environmental aspect of it. I'm not like, you know, I'm not a, I'm not big into environmental stuff, but I think it's good to like do do that kind of stuff. So like my thing was like that's a, that's awesome. Imagine if, of course, back then, imagine if this would be all electric and we could drive just as far long as a normal car. Fast forward ten years, we do have it. Yeah. So I remember driving in it. I was like, this is freaking sweet. And the guy, I remember, I still remember. So I was riding with Curtis, and he's like sitting there, and he go around the corner. He goes, he goes say, uh, um, what do you say? Hit not to hit the gap or hit the acceleration. Whatever. Curtis, what huh? page? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So he goes, uh, "What do you tell me?" S- something like hit it, basically, like just like, yeah, just step, punch it, like punch it. That's it. He goes, "Step on the gas." I'm like, "Okay." So I hit it. And he goes, "No, no, no, punch it." And I, I go, "Really do it?" Whoop! He goes, and this thing just took off, and it felt like it was on a roller coaster. And I was like, and, "And to this, and I did this yesterday. I had a guy who's never driven one before, and he was asking about. It. I'm like, "Hop in." He goes, "No, nah, no, nah, I'm good." I'm like, "No, no, no, hop in." So then he goes, "Well." I'll just go around. I'm like, no, no, no. You're going to punch this thing. Like, <laughs> you got to feel it, man. So he dropped around the whole block. He looked like a freaking kid in the candy store. Like, and it's, it's the only vehicle that I still get in 
I've never had this happen with a vehicle before. I get in every single time I drive it, excited to drive it. Yeah. Still to this day. Like I'll That's get in and I drive it home too. and I'm like, this is the coolest thing. It is, and like the smile, someone told me there's a, I heard this somewhere. I'm not a, like, I don't spend a lot of stuff on me. And, and really I was doing research on like, does it make sense? Is it cost yeah. effective to get it and you know, charging and what, blah, blah, blah. But then I was like, everything like, was like pointing to do it, do it, do it. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. One day I was like, boom, do it. But the, the joy factor I get from driving it, when you talk about like good mood and stuff and I'm in the car, you know, I drive every day and I drive to appointments and everything else. I'm like, you know what? I can get it. Might as well, let's do it. Like, let's kind of, like you said, treat yourself a little bit and have something that you genuinely get excited about every single time you get in. And I don't regret it in the least. It good. is one of my favorite purchases I've ever made. Good. I feel exactly the same way. My parents love the, they drive it every day now to be the first two months, the car was only driven by me because my dad was so uncomfortable. And I understand. And everyone asks me, what's it like to drive a Tesla? I'm like, remember when you first got your smartphone, your first smartphone ever, your first interaction with one? Mm-hmm. Kind of feels like that. You're kind of learning to drive again almost. Yeah. Same thing with the phone. Like when you first, when I first got a smartphone, I was like, uh, I'm a, what if I break the phone? Like, what? Yeah. How do I, how do I do this? Where do I, where, how do I escape? Or keyboard. Yeah same concept it's just i call this the natural evolution of the automotive industry whether we like it or not i know a lot of you guys gave me gave me shit for going with an electric vehicle but i gave you the reasons gas is not going to get any cheaper folks no you guys are you guys are bitching about it now i told you about this a year ago when you had oil producing countries saying we're going to start cutting production because that was when the price of gas was tanking too okay what have we seen now, guys? Gas is at its highest level, I think, in 10 years or so, they're saying oh, right 100%. now? Oh, 100%. Uh, 2000, I know this because I started really driving 2007, 2008. It was a nightmare. It was over $4 a gallon. That was also, there was also, that was, was that Katrina too? That coincided Katrina with- was 05. It ran into that, then it ran right into the recession, and then it went nuts. And I remember I was working on an ice cream stand making, my paycheck was about 60-something dollars a week, or whatever it was back then, maybe a little bit more, and I had tips. Or no, sorry, I lied. I was spending sixty dollars a week in gas, and I'm a, I'm a college kid. Sixty bucks a week just in gas to go. To, I stayed at home. I went to Plattsburgh State. Stayed at home. Just my commute to Plattsburgh, five to six times a week for class would run me sixty dollars in gas. For so like so, I made like eight grand that summer. I probably spent I don't know three to four grand in just gas. You know what I mean? It's like what a word. And that was my. It was like, hey kid, introduction to cars. Like here you go. You want your license? Here you go. And yeah, because my parents didn't buy gas for me. They're like, no, you're working, you get gas. I'm like, no, of okay. course. Yeah, and it was just, uh, yeah, that that was. Uh, I really wish this was around now. But do you? What? How far have you driven? Like, have you taken a long trip with your ride yet? So, because I did, I drove to like, Syracuse with it. Okay, so the farthest I've gone is local trap. I say local. I've been to Burlington a few times. I went to Saranac Lake the other day. I went to Keene a couple times. Like the lowest I've gotten it down to is 40 miles. I have the long range. I have the dual motor long yes. range. So I charge up to about 90%, 80, 85, 90. You can really go all the way. So I charge. Yeah. Well, you can, but not every day. So I yeah. charge up to about 90. Usually when I get in the car, it's about 294 miles of range. Obviously right now we're getting better range than we do in the winter, just mm-hmm. the battery and the cold. But um, I would say... Only once did I have to make a decision not to drive the car because I wasn't going to have enough charge. 
And it would have been, and it honestly, it wasn't even that. It was time wise. I'm like, I could have went to the supercharger right, right, right yeah. near you. You know, twenty minutes enough to make me do what I had to do and get home. But um, once ever, I mean, we're talking five months now. Did you have charge anxiety when you drove to Burlington? Um, I was aware of it, but Burlington also has a supercharger over there. Um, I was not really, to be honest. Good. I, I think um, I've driven it enough now that I like when I first drove it, I was like. I'm like, how, how quick is this going to dip? Yeah. Especially it was in the winter. So like, yeah, you're exactly. not getting the full charge. So I was yep. like, it says 295 and I've only driven a hundred <laughs> miles. And I'm like already down. So there was a few when you first did it, but I'll be honest. I got past that, like that, I'll call it fright. Maybe that like that little, like uh, yeah. nervousness. Now I don't really worry about it. I mean, if I know I'm going a long distance, I'll charge the whole thing up. Yeah. I'm probably going to have three, three thirty for miles, something like that. Um, and, and again, I, when I'm driving, I'm like one of those guys. Like I had the AC on, I had the heat warmer. Oh, on. you have everything. Oh then. yeah. Like okay, I, that that hurts. Oh, it hurts. So I'm like, hurt, I'm not driving know. it the most optimally. I punch it when I can. Like I, you know what I mean. I don't drive. That was the one thing I had to get used to when I drove to Syracuse. I was charging my phone. I had the music. Oh, I charged I had my phone. Oh yeah. AC. Yeah. And then I was like, why is it? Why do I feel like it's draining faster? And then I started thinking about it halfway through the ride. I'm like. Why am I charging my phone? This is why. Yeah, I'm already at 100 battery, but I'm another guy too. My battery starts going below like 50%. I'm like charged, charged, yeah. charged. I'm like, my battery can go all day. I literally can charge my phone overnight. I don't need to charge until I plug it back in. It, it's on a charger right now. It's literally sitting on a charger. I My my car, sometimes I don't, depending on, but if I'm like the other day, I had to go to Saranac Lake, had it on the charger the whole time. You know, there are places where you wouldn't think have superchargers. Like Warren, Warrensburg, just pick one up. See? Yeah. Chesterfield, I think, what is it, exit 33? Chesterfield, yeah. Right? Because when I drove to Syracuse, I'm looking on the map. I'm like, what is this? Yeah, had a little red I'm like, really? But if you... A mile off. When I bought it, when I ordered it, I ordered it in October. So you must have been around the same time? Yes. Roughly, yeah. Yeah. So it was eight weeks till it was delivered. And it was pretty much spot on eight weeks. And I remember when they came out, they had 18,000 superchargers across the country. Yep. By the time I got it, I think they were at 20. I don't know what they're at now. My guess probably 25,000. But like when I look and I, this was recent, they just added that. That wasn't long ago, probably within the month, maybe wow. the last two. And I remember because from where we, definitely within the last month, from where we are, there's um, obviously Montreal, but. I was Bur- in Syracuse a month ago. Burlington. Yeah. There's Lake Placid. Then the the next one down, if you were going to go to Albany, was in Queensbury. Yes. At the mall. Yeah. I charged there yes. too. Yes. Yep. Queensbury. That was that's a stop. The, that's the only other place, but then they added the, the Chester uh, Chesterfield one. Yeah. And that, that one's crazy. pretty cool because now you can skip the Warren because as like as you know when you come up like you start to get to Warrensburg, that's a good spot to have it because once you go past Warrensburg, you're pretty much in no man's land for yes. an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was a clutch one to get right there, especially when it's cold out. That's one where you kind of go, you top it off, and then you get home. Another reason why I invest because they're building the infrastructure there, and and that's where it's going. That's yeah. where everything's going. And I'm not a political guy, but with the current administration granting all these subsidies to the yeah. EVs. I got, I got tax cuts this year for you, Remember my accountant called me. He goes, did you install a charger? I'm like, yeah, I installed my, at my house. He goes, yeah, you can write all that off. How, how, how can you argue against this, against the future leaning towards electric I, at this point? I'm a pretty, like, I'm not a very political guy. And I didn't buy the car for political reasons. I literally bought it because I go zero to 60. I didn't either. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and I just thought it was a cool concept. Yeah. But the, one of the things that's incredible, do you have a charger at your house? Not a supercharger. Well, but you have a wall charger? Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the white wall charger that you plug in or no? The one that I just have the plug that came with the vehicle. Oh, so you just charge in the four, uh, yes. the 20 volt or 40 volt. The 20, I think. So I bought the wall charger. How? 
early. Yeah, so I, I had it installed. Ace Electric came, they installed the whole thing, so it's up there. 50 miles per hour charge. So I get home at night, plug it in. Within Totally worth it, right? Oh. <laughs> I think, I think this is what, between the supercharger and the installation, it was about $1,000. I don't have to go to the gas station, ever. I don't, I get home, I plug it in, it's charged. And you can get it cheaper, because the way they had to run the wiring at my house, it, like, it was a long distance. You can pretty, pretty much do it probably for $800 to $1,000. And that's with the app. That's with the machine. Plugged it in. Every night I come home, I no matter what I, ch- I plug it in. I could have thirty miles. I plug it in. Yeah. And then I get up the next day, two hundred ninety-five miles, no matter what. And if I want to, obviously I could go higher, but that's where I'm every single day. I get home. I don't have to make a special trip to the gas station. I don't have to stand out in the cold with my hand there. I literally just like. So you're charged at your set max every morning. Every morning, every morning I leave the house. Two hundred ninety-four is about. Is the average. No worries. And I never worry about it. Most days, I'm just local traffic. I mean, I might have to travel a half hour, 20 minutes, but it's all pretty much local. Have you seen a difference in your monthly bill, your electricity bill? Because um, I haven't yet. But I, then again, I'm only running on the I'll 20. I'll be honest. I don't think so. Not enough to make a difference. Right? It's so... I asked my mom. She's like, no, I haven't noticed anything. I'm like, okay, not sure. a, I noticed more of my water bill when I was sprinkling my grass. Like I thought it was going to make it grow. Oh, here I am, damn. Mr. Green Thumb. I'm not, but like, here I am. Like I had more of a, like a, like, man, my, my water bill went up $40 this month. Cause I was sitting there watering my, my lawn. Like I was like, you know, freaking. you see, here's another thing. Here's another, like when people ask why Tesla, okay, forget the obvious that it's electric. I haven't seen any difference on my electric bill. First of all. Okay. Not noticeable. Um, you're saving right there, okay? Mm-hmm. The other thing I'm saving, it, insurance. Because of all the safety features mm-hmm. on these vehicles now, it actually made my insurance, it's cheaper than what you would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More savings right there. Yep, I agree. And don't we're not even including the rebate. Yeah, and that was a bonus. I didn't even know about that. Oh, really? Like, I, I well, that was all new because I had bought it. I was like, I just wanted my, my accountant's like, hey, man, he's buddy of mine. He's like, Hey, what'd you do for the Tesla? Starts, I'm like, I don't know. I did this. I don't know nothing about it. I just knew it was a cool car. Like, it's literally an Amazon Electric. That's like the only thing. I'm, I'm a small brain guy. I was like, this looks, <laughs> this looks cool. I want I it. Let's want get it. it. So, but then I start finding out more stuff. I'm like, this is, this is amazing. Like, it's there's nothing. There's nothing about it that I dislike. There's nothing. I've yet to find something where, even if I'm like, man, I don't think that's great. But I'm like, it's such a minor thing. Like, 99 percent of that car is better than any car I could ever imagine getting. Besides the S. Besides the S. <laughs> Hashtag goals. Have you, uh, have you, there's, I've seen a couple S's around here. Oh yeah. And when I travel, I see, I've seen like the X and I've never seen the doors on the X go up, but really? I, I want to see, I just want to see someone punch the S and just really go like the plaid ludicrous. Three, three seconds. Zero to oh, 60. Oh no, no. Under two actually. Yeah. I think it's like 1.9. Yes. When that roadster comes out, the roadster is a four seat. It's a four seat car. I want that. Was it two hundred grand? Okay, in a few years. It's unreal. If I had the money, I would buy it. Why not? Like that's one. Like I should say, if I had like money that I didn't care about, of course. And that was a huge. Like I would get it because it's just fun. Like, do I need to go two hundred fifty miles an hour? Will I ever go any close to that? No, I won't go over probably eighty, but maybe ninety. But the. Uh, but it's kind of one where it's like that. It's just the experience when you drive that thing. And I, it's fun. There's nothing about the car that I dislike. Now, the other thing I like about it too, which is people are like, well, you can get these other EVs because they have other incentives because the, because the Tesla, uh, the federal incentive's gone now. Mm-hmm. My thing with this, 
and I've thought about this for people ask me, I'm like, there's no way I'm betting against Elon Musk in any facet. I said, they might come up with something, but I said, you, it, there's an innovation level that you need. And I don't think those other people are going to innovate like Elon's going to. And you, and to me, that's like a, that's an intangible. We talk about brand. Yes. There's a reason why I'm going to buy a Tesla because I believe in that guy over. I don't bet on him against him. No. And, and he's impressive. Like he's, he's one of those guys. If I, can I say he's in my eyes, he is the next Steve Jobs so far. He's on that path oh, right now. Without doubt. He's on the path for sure. I think you're going to see him up with like the Edisons and obviously Tesla, Nikola Tesla, um, you know, the Einsteins, like the guy, like the, the, the thinkers, the, the great dude that thinkers. had a vision and just put it into play and just but, but thought not bigger. Only, but, but yeah, and Steve Jobs, like thought bigger. Steve Jobs, dent the universe. Like this, like Elon Musk, like, yeah, you can dent the universe. I'm going to go to another planet yeah. and colonize it. And then I heard him talk about it. He goes, well, if we colonize Mars, and this is, the most freaky thing he's sitting there talking and they're asking him about colonizing mars and he goes well yeah if you colonize mars they might have been on rogan's podcast he's been on like three times yeah. and all of them are fantastic and he's sitting there, he's like well if you colonize mars he goes we really can colonize any planet so he goes and joe's like trying to like wrap his head around him and he and like elon's talking about it like you would talk about a recipe at this it's very shop. matter of fact. Yeah, matter of fact. Like, well, no, we could do it. This is how it would work, this and this is all we need to do. And it's going to take about this long, but we, it will happen. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. So we're going to colonize Mars. Now you're talking about going to colonize like Jupiter, and then you're going to like Neptune. Like, okay, and and but you hear him talk about it, and it's like in his mind, it's like, no, no, you can do it. Just like this is, and like in my eyes, I'm like. I can see Mars on a clear day when the newscasters tell me I can see Mars. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is, it's so bizarre to me that like I watched the Martian movie and I'm like, I love that movie. And I'm Same. sitting there. I'm like, that's such a great movie. And then Elon's like, no, that's that will happen. We'll get up there. And like, this is the science behind it. And he's not a sci I mean, he's not a scientist. You know what I mean? It's not like he went to school for this stuff. He just was like self-taught and he's just brilliant. I, I, I'm just so impressed with what he's doing. And then to, to also sit there and not even the colonize Mars, but, the idea that you can make the entire planet fairly self-sufficient, no fossil fuel, solar power, you're getting it from the sun anyways, might as well use it. And yeah. there was a, there was a interview that he was, if you ever watched this, he's walking around the Tesla plant with Leonardo DiCaprio and Leonardo DiCaprio is like a very, uh, environmental, you yes. know, environmental impact kind of guy. And, uh, he's like, this is, this is pretty impressive. This gigafactory. He's like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, you know, if we had about a hundred, we could, you know, we could be self-sustaining. He goes, oh, a hundred United States. He goes, no, no, the world. And he goes, wait, what? He goes, I was like, huh? Yeah. He goes, if you get a hundred of these gigafactories that have a pretty large footprint, but I mean, obviously, you, could, you know, there's plenty of space for them. Yeah. Because if you put them around the, he goes, the world, we could all be self-sufficient. We don't need anything but these. But he goes, the problem is, he goes, I, Tesla can't build a hundred of them. We don't have the, the, the resources to do so. But he goes, if other companies like Apple or Google or Facebook or, you know, these big national come together. And do yeah. It. Alibaba, you know, like they sit in there and say, Hey, we're going to dump money into this, become self-sufficient. The problem as as you know, cause you're into this, the, the money in oil, the greed in oil, the, when people talk about Elon being the richest or Jeff Bezos being the richest person in the world, that's on paper. The people in the oil industry don't put their stuff on paper. Like when you look at those guys over there that own the oil factories and own the oil the trade refinery, the lands, just owning the lands is enough right there. Yeah. That I think Elon, didn't they talk about like Vladimir Putin might be the richest man on earth? Like just what they have that's not really documented. 
I think dwarfs Elon, but Elon to me is doing it in like a very responsible, like in a legit way, like a legit, like good intent way, not like sketchy, not like Elon doesn't care. I mean, you see him, he's wearing a t-shirt and jeans and he's like richest man. He's like, oh, cool. All right, I'm going back to work now. Like I got, yeah. I got stuff to do. Pretty regular looking Joe most of the time. Yeah. And I think if he like walked in and sat down and be like, Hey man, what's up? He's like, Hey guys. I'm like, wait, are you Elon Musk? Like, yeah. What are you guys talking about? I'm like, like that, that's how I think he would be. Like, I just think he'd be this very approachable person. And I've seen interviews where people like stick a microphone in his face and ask him questions. And he'll answer it. They're like, well, and he'll really give it thought and knowledge. I'm like, dude, you know, it's not worth your time to talk to that. Like <laughs> just get in your car and drive away. And he's like actually talking. Cause he's just kind of, he's normal. Like I think a normal dude, I mean, obviously he's dude. not, there's he's much, <laughs> he's much more intelligent, but, um, and Teddy, just for the, for the sake of time here, the last question I'm going to ask you, I would love to have you back on, by the way, if sure. we can, if we can not, not, we'll give you, we'll give you a few months or a year. We'll, we'll you know, okay. we'll, we'll bring you back on. But question I want to ask you that I think you do a fantastic job and you did a lot of this kind of during COVID more so after the COVID, everything kind of opened up. Uh, like we always say like local matters and stuff, but like, what is your Talk, talk about the community just for you guys and like the, like you're part of the community. You've been here for decades. Um, you're established. Like I said, you have a brand, people know your family, but you also give back. And I think you're someone that you did, like you said, you, how you take it, you reciprocate it. And I think you reciprocate it tenfold. What's the importance of that to you? What are a couple local companies that you love? What, what are some people, you know, that you're like, this person is doing it the right way. These are people that like that I just vibe with. They're just like in the same, you know, I took this from Danielle earlier today, like same frequency. Like, well, this is a very, I think of this as a very small local gesture, but if, if I see you at my sec third home, Olive Ridley's, I'm going to probably throw a drink at you, especially if I see you on the regular at the shop. That's just a small gesture to me. That's a small gesture. Mm -hmm. Because anybody can buy a drink, okay? If you're in a bar, anybody can buy a drink, period. But I also see that not a lot of people buy people drinks, which is weird to me because in the bar scene, what I'm used to in the city, we all buy each other drinks. It's just a part of the social experience. It's just a part of, oh, it's great to see you, man. We just got out of work. Here, let's let's have a drink. Up here, that I don't... They're, they don't have that part of the culture for some weird reason. So every time I buy somebody a drink, a, a patron, they're super thankful. And I, and you know, that's just me saying, Hey man, or young lady, thanks for patronizing the shop for so long. Please. This is just a small token of my appreciation. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'll see you soon. I'll be out of your hair. Another thing I value about the community is the arts. My favorite organization right now is Plattsburgh Blues and Jazz. I like that they're trying to bring that whole grassroots, the whole jazz, just give people that experience of Grammy-nominated artists coming to our community. You know, people, one thing I like to say is there's no reason why you can't do big city things in a smaller city. And Plattsburgh Blues and Jazz embodies that saying. The fact that they try to bring the biggest acts they can to entertain our community. Hell yeah, I want to support that. We oftentimes, music is such an important outlet, especially as a student. 
I grew up playing violin and viola in school. More often than not, guess what? That's one of the first things they cut out of the budgets, is it not? I think these administrators, the, the powers that be, they don't understand what it means to play an actual instrument. So for me, supporting plaster blues and jazz, I want to keep that spirit alive. I want to show people that you can go on tour and play your music and present your art and people will appreciate it. Another organization I like to support is breast cancer because personal on a family level, I don't know. I, breast cancer doesn't run in my family as far as I know, but I see it run rampant across our country. When I was gifted, there's a, a group called tipping North country. Oh yeah. Yep. I was one of the recipients and I begrudgingly accepted it, Mikey. I was not expecting that to happen, but they showed up, they presented it to me and I told them straight up, like I, I could use this for sure, but I'm just going to donate it back. Like, I literally wanted to give it back to him and say, can you roll this onto the next account? He's like, nope, you got to take this. So I'm like, listen, I'm just going to donate it. He's like, Hey Teddy, it doesn't, I, it doesn't matter what you do with it. It's yours to do as you please. He's like, go, he's like, go buy yourself a fancy pair of air force ones or something. Treat yourself to something. I'm like, no, there's other people that can use this more. There's other people that can use this more than me. You know, um, I'm thankful that the business survived the pandemic. We were shut down for four months. When we reopened, the community definitely showed up and showed out. I'm super thankful. I'm super humbled by it. We're doing well. The business is well. But I also recognize that I'm fortunate and I'm blessed to have the support system I have. Not a lot of people do. Not a lot of people are in the position that I am, apparently. I was not sure of this because you know what? I hate to bring this back to the culture, but in my culture, there's not many single family households. You know what I mean? I mean, not single, uh, single parent households. Oh, okay. So when I, when we moved up here, like that's when I really started to notice everyone I grew up with in the city. Like I, I, I honestly cannot even recall one friend that had that was in a single parent household in all seriousness like for 18 years of my life that i lived in new york city but for 17 years never encountered that until i came up here and then i started to realize the struggles and how tough it is for some of the kids some of the parents Another reason why I feel art is a super helpful outlet for the kids. You put me on the spot by asking me about donations and how I give back. I'm the type of person that likes to not be acknowledged for these things. I do a lot of these things. I don't want to say under the table because it sounds shady, but I do a lot of these things with 
as minimal exposure as I can because I, you guys know I love the community. I don't need any sort of accolades, any sort of recognition for the things I do. I just do the things I do because I feel like I feel blessed and fortunate. And not everyone's like that. I do things on the low. You know, a lot of, through the years, I've had a lot of friends, a lot of adolescents just just message me. Once a week, I'll get a message from, from a youth, from a member of our youthful community, right? And just, oftentimes, I don't even know who the, who the kid is, but they know me. And they'll just describe a situation and ask me for feedback, how to approach a situation, how to better myself even. And those are the best conversations because when, when you have a 14, 15 year old kid saying, Teddy, I'm busting my ass working here. How do I accumulate wealth or just how can I be more efficient with my time? and balance school and this work at the same time. Like those, I love when kids ask me these things. I love when kids ask, you know, um, hey, how do I write this paper? Or how do I introduce myself to a class when I'm making a presentation? How do I introduce myself to a girl? I get these things all the time. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's embarrassing, but the fact that I don't even know you and you're asking me these things, like, you obviously have some connection with me, some sort of level of understanding where you're so confident to share some of these things with me. And you fully know that I will not share it with anybody else. I will not dime you out. I won't tag you on anything. This is like the grassroots way of giving back that a lot of people don't know about. Like when someone checks in to a facility to better themselves. Those are the organization. Those are the organizations I like to help out. Anyone that's willing to make a difference, anyone that's willing to sit there and listen. That itself is so powerful. It's I. I cannot specifically say. Recipients. Why? Why do you think people reach out to you? Or, or why do young people reach out to you, think? Probably because I post a lot of pictures of Jordans and Air Force Ones <laughs> and jerseys and fashion guys. and the fashion game and the, and the Tesla and Smurfette. Everybody loves my Wrangler, apparently. But here's the thing. They probably reach out, I'm guessing, because I have a strong background. I have a diverse background, I think, because of my interests. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I genuinely just like to help. I think I get more satisfaction out of, and this probably goes back to the shop. The fact that I know you're coming to get a meal and it's going to put a smile on your face because you're looking for that win. That rolls with the satisfaction of help. You know, I know so many people that have such a shitty day, but they come to the shop knowing they're going to get a win. And that's, Oftentimes, you know what? Sometimes that's the highlight of your day. Just the power of food and just good food hitting your palate 
can make a huge difference in someone's day. I mean, my favorite story about, I want to say four or five years ago, this older lady, she's a single mom. She was definitely like, uh, happens around closing time, around 8.30. And um, it was me and my mom out there. We were trying to close up shop. We're cleaning up. And she comes up and she orders a meal and she's visibly distraught. Okay. So, you know, um, she's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd like to get something for my daughter. So I'm like, oh, cool. Definitely. Well, what would, what would she like? So, you know, she tells me what her daughter likes and I prepared for her, you know, it comes time to go to the register and you can see that she's visibly distraught. So I'm like, are you okay? Everything all right? And I'll never forget this. She said, this is probably going to be my daughter's last meal. <laughs> I was like, you can't make this up, guys. Like, no, like, how can, how do you deal with, how do you even respond to that? Knowing that you hopefully put a smile on someone's face in such a time of, need that's the power of food that's that's just the power of i don't know what that is i just couldn't describe it to this day i will still share this story with some people and to this day i will still get worked up but this is the business in a nutshell sometimes when you build such relationships in the community it becomes more than a transaction. It becomes a relationship at some point. At some point, that line gets crossed, whether you like it or not. I know in the beginning, I was very, I didn't understand it at first. But the more and more I hear about stories and the importance of what my parents have done in their routine everyday life of just being there for them, it's... It grew more and more on me each day. Every time I hear those stories, it just further emphasizes what I do, what we do. You know, when I first moved up here, I thought, yeah, we're just selling food. I'm just here to bide my time, pay some bills. But it's definitely become so much more. And sometimes food just hits you in that way. I can't even describe it. I guess you could say it's to make it somewhat comparable when you get in your car. When you get in your car and just you have some, some sort of extra satisfaction, some sort of extra happiness that just hits you somehow. That's what makes the business so rewarding. It's more, it's, trust me, people, if it was about the money, it'd be more than 842. Yeah. I mean, or you'd be on investment banker down in, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean it, but it's true. You know, like you said, you get, you're a people person. I think this is something that, um, you know, if you step out and 
I think food for you is more than obviously more than food. I mean, it's it's an art. It's conversation piece. You, I mean, you mentioned a few things of, you know, that draw people together: food, drink, music. I mean, a lot of these things. I think that kind of have been kind of themes throughout the conversation. I think tie into. I think you're someone that you value. You value people coming together over something, and food, food's the most powerful thing. You have dinner with people. You have dinner with your loved ones. You have dinner with friends. You have dinner Thanksgiving dinners. One of the the any, biggest dinner of the year is Thanksgiving dinner. And any meal of the day can be a social. Yeah, and, and the whole idea thing. is, it's to like people eat by themselves, but you don't really. A lot of times, you try to search people out. Do you want to go have a lunch? Do you want to go have breakfast? Do you want to go out to dinner? Do you want to go have drinks? Like, it's a social aspect. You socialize over food, and I think it's. A lot of people, like you said, they could have a shitty day at work, at life, weekend, whatever. They come see you, friendly face. They know the product they're getting. They know it's going to be good. They know the expectation level, the excellence. They show up. Hey, I know, like you said, I love how you put it, a win. Like you're going in, that's getting a win. Like I'm making that, like, and and I'm sure there's very few people that leave your restaurant and think it's a loss. I think it's like they go, I'm going to see, like, and if not, if they go and having a bad day and the food doesn't cheer them up. You bring that extra layer of like, you bring the Teddy on them. You know what I mean? You go full Teddy and like, Hey, like, like you gotta, I, I, I would think people would feel good leaving, you know? And I think that does like, I, I've had in my life, you think of people and I'm like, you know what they, for whatever reason, maybe not, maybe I don't know them well, maybe I know them well, but they bring something out of me every time I talk to them. I'm like, you know what? That is one of the nicest people I've ever met. And it always, if I think about like, there's people in my head right now, I'm thinking of, I'm like some of the nicest people. I've ever met and anytime I talk to him I just get in a better mood and no matter what bad day talk to him for some reason they have some type of cheerfulness or exuberance that's just like you know what that's my guy that's my girl like that's like someone that brings that out in you and that's I think at the end of the day that's what people are you know happiness you search for happiness and like I said it comes in different facets like you're you grind away for I mean you do majority of it for others your parents the customers relationships, your friends, sliding the, sliding the drink down at Ridley's to somebody. It's all to put a smile on someone else's face. And then you get the satisfaction of the return of that. Like even just talking to you and hearing you talk, like you're making me excited and you're probably just like, Hey, I'm just, I'm just talking about stuff. But like you, you can feel it coming off though. Like this is, you genuinely, like I, I wish I took video cause I don't think people get, you know, they talk about like a, um, nonverbal cues. Like I wish I had more video. Cause like a lot of people I talk to, you can tell the passion. Like again, I had, Danielle in the last episode, when she started talking about Chinese medicine and, and, and alternative medicine and what her plans are and vision for the area, you could like what her voice was saying was like 30% of what her body was saying. You know it's what I mean? Aura. Yeah. And she was just, and she was just like, and she like rose off the desk as like this, this like mythical, like mythical, but like, you know what I mean? She's like yeah. rising up and she like, you could tell that she wasn't her structure was like she was she was growing beyond her physical appearance that's kind of what you are when you talk about it like like that, you're that, like me we're not we're not the most tall we're not tall people you know but i get like but you, that's, you the that's the chi that's the chi that's the chi so this is literally the that's the energy so two people have said chi ever on this podcast you and Danielle energy. both today so today's a chi day but it's that's the energy it's the energy it's the vibes it's the, it's the good it's like it's the karma it's anything you call it but it's the it's a lot of truth of that. And like good people attract good people. Positivity attracts positivity. And I think like you said, you bust your ass. I try to work hard. I, I mean, I try my best to work hard. I mean, you work, I, I look at you and I'm like, you, you make me look like I'm lounging around, but I, I, I find that 
people that are trying to better themselves and grind and, and know that they're not going to get something out of nothing. Like I know anything I want to accomplish, two things. One, it's on me. I can do it. Meaning if I have yep. a mind to it, I can do it. But then two, I got to put the time in to do it. And again, when you talk about talk the talk, like when I was saying, hey, 10 years from now, as a 21-year-old, I'm going to be the top agent. I'm looking down. I'm like, how am I going to be? Like, these people are established. They're old. They're double my age. They've been, they've been longer in the business than I've been alive. And I'm looking at this saying, I want to do that. But then I, I was like, no, I really want to do that. And then I'm like, I'm also going to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. And I, that's what I did. I just put my head down and made stuff happen over 10 years to get to that level. But even now with the, like when I talk about like trying to organize and understand my life, like not my life, but like prioritize and move stuff around and try to get to that next level. I'm not just sitting there being like, eh, someone else will do it for me. Cause he's, there's a reason, like you said, you're, you're an independent, um, you know, restaurant now we're an independent real estate company. I've had, you know, people have said, you know, join this company or join this franchise or do this. And I'm like, no, because someone has control over my decisions. And I said, I have every control over every one of my decisions that I, no matter what I do, provided not breaking the law, I have full, I can do what I want. And that's something you said, you can't put a price tag on that freedom, that, that ability to, there's a lot of companies around here locally, like in the real estate space, if you're a franchise, I find they turn like a bobsled. Meaning they can they can't make fast they they might make a fast decision but they need approval yes and then sometimes the approval gets kicked down I find that those people that are bobsleds and are going really slow and turning and I'm like a, I'm like a hockey player I can go and stop on a diamond like I don't like it scrap it throw it away and we're already moving in the next direction yeah. and guess who I ask myself because we can do it yeah like so that uh like I said a lot of similarities you and I and that's what I thought I would probably get from this and I think that there's a lot to you you're you're a good dude man. You're a good dude. Thanks, GT. Yeah. And and like I said, just first time I've ever like met you, but I said, again, taking what I've known from Instagram and then you come in and, and the one thing I will say about you is you're as authentic sitting across from me, you know, maybe six feet apart, I don't know, <laughs> but, but across from me as you are, you know, on the little, uh, on the little 16 by, or whatever that is, that little uh, one by 16 grid that we see on Instagram, like same person like there's no fluff like you didn't come no. in here and all of a sudden i'm like this doesn't seem like the same guy i'm like this is more the guy than i even see on social media like you bring it even harder in real life so i take pride in that to be honest with you i i don't i i'm not about the fakeness there's, there's nothing like, fake about I, I don't i don't have time for fakeness well you just talk for two and a half hours and i can't i still haven't deciphered any fakeness out of you so you're doing good your lie detector test is over it for- <laughs> thank you thank you <laughs> um all right in the sake of time i want you to get some sleep <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. If people want to follow, give a plug, give plug the restaurant, plug the social media. You know, um, first, thanks for, thank you everybody for listening. Secondly, thanks to everybody that's been following adventures. If you have not, and this is the first time you've heard of us, or maybe you don't know, check us out on, at a uh, China cafe on Facebook. And if you want to check out the Instagram, just follow Teddy Chan. I plug the shop there and I post all the stories there too. So all the breaking news will always be on social media first. All right. Peace out. And location. You want to tell location? We are located in the mall. 27 years now in the food court. Champlain Center. I got it. I got it. I have so many more questions to ask you. We'll do it another time. But uh, one there, Teddy, thank you so much for doing this. I'm glad we got to connect. Um, I actually really enjoyed this. It was a good time. So that is episode 131 of the Galen Trombley Show. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T.
T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.